Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning. Happy Monday. Welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman out for the holidays. Dan McLaughlin is in. I'm Randy Carriker. Daniel, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Randy. Busy weekend of uh, sports. Thank goodness we have sports to keep us going as we get ready for Christmas. Christmas is on Friday, man. Yeah, Christmas Eve on Thursday. We will be here yes. on Thursday getting you ready for your Christmas Eve. And then Friday morning, everybody will get up and hopefully have the good fortune to open a gift or two. Oh, where's my cookies? Uh, we're working on those, Dan. You said this was the character cooking cookie weekend. I'm Well, I was all ready to have some cookies. Baking has taken place, but there is packing packaging that needs to take place <laughs> i just don't want to give you a bunch of random i got you. cookies that are wrapped up in a bunch of saran wrap or something i'd take it that way okay. i'd have no problem we you don't have that to happen make, you don't have to make it nice <laughs> just bring bring the goods babe <laughs> we will uh we'll have those later in the week awesome we have a lot coming your way here on 101 espn we're going to talk to kevin seifert of espn.com he writes the nfl Chris Kerber is going to join us as well. Dan, on the heels of the NHL announcing officially yesterday that they are going to start play on January 13th. A 56-game schedule. The Blues will play every division foe in their Western division eight different times. And basically what you'll have is two-game series against everybody, two two-game series against everybody home and road. I love this. 56 games. It's like every team is tied coming out of what would be a normal all-star break, which I think is fun, so meaningful. You know, 56 games will go in a blink of an eye in an NHL hockey season, especially condensed as many games as they're going to play. So I really like that. I love the fact that you're going to have really good rivalries. And as it pertains to the Blues, you think about Vegas with Petro. You think mm -hmm. about Colorado, who's going to be very good. Um, and you have the chance in what would be a, what, four-and-a-half-month period, Randy? You potentially could play these teams 15 times because if you meet them in postseason play, you go to a seven-game series, you got eight games regular season, that's 15 matchups against that team in about four-and-a-half months. That's fun. That'll be awesome. And hopefully, I think one of the things they should have done, actually, is allow fighting. Just it'll, It's a five-minute major for fighting, and that's it. Just let it rip, huh? Yeah. It'll be also the first time we'll have an all-Canada division, which is good for hockey, I think. I think so, too. Since 1938. So it's kind of like the Smythe and the Norris days again, you know, going back old school. Um, it's, it's an outlier of a season like we had in baseball. I'm just happy they're going to play. 
and eventually maybe we get back to these home cities with some fans in them by the end of the year and and uh, I'm not saying pack the place but let fans get in uh, get back into their home buildings and and watch some good hockey the blues division includes the blues Vegas Colorado Anaheim Arizona the Kings the wild and the Sharks I'm wondering, now Dallas is going to be in the Central. Dallas right. and Minnesota both moved to the Central. And Minnesota was really good down the stretch last year. I think the Blues and Vegas and Colorado are all playoff teams. The fourth team is going to come from Anaheim, Arizona, the Kings, Minnesota, San Jose. I think Minnesota is clearly the number one choice for me to be the number four team. And Arizona, I would think, has a chance. Anaheim's not making the playoffs. Kings aren't making the playoffs. Sharks aren't making the playoffs. I would agree with that. i also say this. Um, as I looked at the format or the divisions, I think this is the most competitive I think so. of the divisions. Now, the Canadian teams, correct me if I'm wrong, Randy, they'll play each other 10 times. Right, fewer because teams. it's a seven-team division. Right, so that's going to be interesting to watch that. 23-man rosters, four to six player taxi squads kind of like what we had in in baseball mm -hmm. so if somebody gets injured sick virus whatever you got somebody to draw on trade deadline we will have a trade deadline that'll be april 12th that'll be odd regular season ends on may 8th that's odd and then you have the expansion draft on july 21st so um I, I think it's fun. I think it's great. It's exciting for hockey fans here in town, and let's get it going. Ready to have it happen. Training camp starting already on July 3rd. Meanwhile, our Blues insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, reporting last night that the Blues will indeed officially name Ryan O'Reilly as their captain. Blues Poho General Manager Doug Armstrong, what do you look for in a team captain? They, they play for the team more than themselves. Like The, the great leaders always see see it from the, the team's perspective and then and then they then their perspective secondly you 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 get great players they can put up personal stats but might not play you know and then i don't want to disparage those guys but it might not be for willing to do everything for the team i i find the great players i'll always look at the game from the team's perspective first there's no doubt that that's what Ryan O'Reilly does. Long-term contract. He's in the fold. He was awesome in the stretch run for the Blues in 2019, leading them to the Cup. This is the obvious choice. Whether or not he is, you know, maybe wanted it, he's the obvious choice. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at Bo Meester gone, Petro gone, um, now Steen retired, it, it falls in his lap. He checks all the boxes. To me, there's no argument. I mean, you could say maybe Shen, maybe you looked at Pareko growing into his role as is the leader on the defensive side potentially but to me randy this is this is kind of the no-brainer of all no-brainers he's the guy yeah and the blues will name him if not uh, today then soon as their official captain the billikens allowed 90 points last night mm. in minnesota lost to the gophers 90 to 82 an atypical billiken performance and minnesota by the way was really good yeah and st louis u they got they, they were down by double digits but they got back even, but they just couldn't sustain things once they would get back into the game. Slew was down by 15 at one point in the second half. Jordan Goodwin, another big night, sixth double-double in seven games. He had 21-10, mixed in seven assists.
couple of things that stood out in the game. Fred Thatch, uh, that was good. Fred Thatch mm-hmm. is going to be a really good player at SLU. He had 11 points, 8 rebounds. I think he's their top perimeter defender, if not their top defender anyway. But granted, also over the weekend, another year of eligibility for a medical hardship. So you're going to have him in the fold, what's going to seem like forever, which is good news for SLU fans. Keys in the game last night. SLU in the second half only shot 35%. That mm-hmm. was a problem where Minnesota was close to 50. And the other thing was Minnesota shot 41 free throws in the game. 41, yeah. and they hit 34. So that obviously was a difference in getting to the 90-point barrier. First loss of the year for the Billikens, who will, right after the start of the new year, start conference play. Yeah, UMKC will be in town on Wednesday night. So that'll be a win. <clears throat> You'd have to think. You'll Better go to be. seven and one. Better be is right. And I guess we'd find out this morning if they crack the top 25. Even with last night's loss, I thought the win over NC State would put SLU in the top 25. We'll find out. Illinois, by the way, losing to Rutgers yesterday. Yeah. So be interesting to see where Illinois goes. Are they still going to be top 25? They have that win over Duke at Cameron. That's the one that is going to stand out. But now losses at Mizzou, at Rutgers. We'll see if they hang in the top 25. 91-88, Rutgers knocks off the Illini. M-I-Z-Z-O-U football headed to the Music City Bowl. They'll be playing Iowa coming up on New Year's Eve as they get back to a bowl game after missing last year. They fell to Mississippi State over the weekend, 51-32, finished the season at 500, but the Music City Bowl is a good bowl. It is a good bowl. Uh, It's also centrally located. There will be fans in the stands. Consider that as we talk about how you maximize dollars, which is what this is all about in the college football playoff and and the bowl season. Uh, Larry Roundtree, by the way, has said he will not forgo that game. He is going to compete, and he is uh, just a handful of yards away from 1,000. He's got 972, so that would be something to consider. And I think it's important for Basilek to have a bounce back. He had three Mm -hmm. interceptions over the weekend. Good, solid freshman year, but want to see him bounce back in that game. Iowa, very good team, top 25, so nice matchup for SLU, or rather for Mizzou, excuse me. Mizzou and Iowa Music City Bowl on December 30th. Illinois has their new head football coach, Brett Bielma. He's going to join us tomorrow. Former head coach at Wisconsin, won three Big Ten championships there. Did not have as much success at Arkansas. Had been the offensive line coach with the New York football Giants. And now Bielma is the head coach at Illinois, where he grew up. Yeah. One of the things I was hearing with Lovey as as he was relieved of his duties was just didn't capitalize on the St. Louis kids when Mizzou was down. He had one pretty good recruiting class mm-hmm. of some St. Louis kids and then didn't capitalize. They weren't getting those kids. They had a lot of transfers. I don't know if you noticed that on their they did. on their roster. And so they want to see this guy come in, get back to the roots of recruiting here in St. Louis and on the east side and keep those kids. And I think, you know, you get him back in a conference, as you mentioned, at Wisconsin, had great success. It, it does seem to be the right fit. And for us in the media, the guy is pretty funny, too. Mm-hmm. So I kind of enjoy that. I'll be interested to see if he has to change the roster dramatically because stylistically Bielman's Bielma is a smash mouth guy yes he's a, a big brawny all those Wisconsin offensive linemen in the NFL those those were Bielma guys JJ Watt right those big defensive linemen there they were Bielma guys and that's what the game that he wants to play he, he's not a guy that drops back and lets it fly I don't know if you can do that now I mean the game has changed so much remember Nick Saban a couple years ago said basically i don't know if there's any defense anymore 
in college football. It's all about offense. And if you don't have offense and you're not chucking it, you're, you're not going to win. It looked like that on Saturday night, Dan. Oh, as what Alabama, a game that was. That was great, wasn't it? Yeah. I give Dan Mullen credit, by the way, afterwards. He actually came out and said, this one is on me with clock management. How many times yeah. do you hear that with a coach in a game that is that big in an SEC championship? He said, I'm not sure we would have won, uh, would have won the game. I'm paraphrasing. But he said, clock management, without question, is on me. They had a timeout with some confusion mm -hmm. towards a stretch. They burned it, cost him at the end. Alabama hung on, and it was a great game. And so Alabama, number one in the country, will play Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl in Arlington on New Year's Day. And Clemson, number two seed, will play Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. And the winners of those two games will head to the national championship game January 11th in Miami. Clemson scored on plays. I don't know if you watched that game against Notre Dame. Of 67, 33, 24, and 34 yards. Notre Dame did not have a play longer than 30 yards all game all game i mean that was dominating trevor lawrence looked every bit the part of what trevor lawrence is one of the best players if not the best in college football and so we do have the college football playoff which i'm sure a lot of people are you know you can debate texas a&m you can debate cincinnati you can debate coastal carolina where they should be all those teams but it's frustrating when you don't see undefeated teams get in and it, it begs the question randy you know do those teams ever have a shot ever of getting in well the the group of five teams no they don't i agree because the power five conferences own the college football playoff and they are going to share the money it's the money when, it, when you're in the college football playoff your team gets six million dollars to share with your conference cincinnati they're in the uh, american conference the, the power five is not going to give the american conference six million dollars it's just not going to happen here's the other thing you and i are the committee is anybody going to beat Clemson or Alabama? No. The only teams that can beat Clemson or, or Alabama are Clemson or Alabama. Agreed. So it really doesn't Maybe matter. Maybe Ohio State. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe. I don't think Notre Dame. Uh, I Not don't with think Trevor so Lawrence. And I don't think A&M. Alabama beat A&M 52-24. to 24. I think A&M's got a better shot than ND, though. Just because they're in the SEC? After what I saw this weekend. Yeah, they're a little bit more explosive. But that's what we're talking about here is you might have three teams that have a chance to win the championship. And that is, I, I think that Justin Fields is going to have to be a lot better passing the ball if Ohio State's going to be in that mix. They certainly can run it with Sermon. But you've got Ohio State and, and Clemson, and maybe just notch below Ohio State, but then everybody else. It doesn't matter who that fourth team is. So you've had seven years now of the college football playoff, 28 bursts, and only a total of 11 different programs. Mm -hmm. Cincinnati's undefeated and this is where it gets interesting though so say they're not in the top four and that's fine we can argue that but they're number eight behind an eight and two Oklahoma team and they're also behind a Florida team that has three losses mm -hmm. and just lost over the weekend now that's tough to swallow Coastal Carolina is 11 and 0 and they never broke into the top 10 so you're not getting rewarded for being no. undefeated and that's the issue is that it's not about football it's about money at the end of the day an army doesn't get a bowl no which is they had committed to a bowl the bowl decided not to play but army deserves to be playing absolutely in a bowl somewhere. so yeah I, I that the system either needs to expand i mean if ever there was a year that you put in eight teams this was it yeah and then let you know the committee easily could have said here's the eight teams 
okay, Cincinnati, you want you want your shot? There's Alabama. Go get them. Yeah. And then they get blown out by 30 or whatever. Then and you then, know. then you know. Yep. That's Dan. I'm Randy. And coming up, four downs from the weekend in the NFL on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Time for four downs. Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker. First down. First down, Randy. I'm going with, uh, well, looking at the Eagles. Jalen Hurts goes 24 for 44 yesterday, 338 yards. It was a 33 to 26 loss at Arizona to Arizona by the Eagles. Now, that's one thing, but we got a quarterback controversy going on here. And it's not only because of the performance on the field. We're talking about dollars and cents. So Carson Wentz wants to move on, he has said, if things don't change. Here's the problem. They gave him four years and $128 million bucks. They cut him. The cap hit, hit is $60 million. If they trade him, it's roughly $33, $34 million. So do you do what's best for the team as he continues to win with Jalen Hurts if you're Doug Peterson? Or do you say the front office is saying, now, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on here, uh, Doug. We got a lot of money tied up with this guy. What do you think happens with the Philadelphia Eagles? That's what stood out for me yesterday. I think they're going to have to keep him around, even if too. it is as a backup, because you just can't take $60 million or $34 million in dead money on your roster, especially with the roster that they have, all the expensive players. They would have to cut so many guys to be able to to alleviate the dead money. It would be impossible. I'm happy, by the way, for Jalen Hurts. Mm -hmm. You know, he was thrust behind Tua. Now, he was a great player at Alabama. Then he goes to Oklahoma. That's, by the way, he followed Kyler Murray. Murray. Then he follows guard. Then he goes to the NFL, faced Kyler Murray yesterday. You know, he's kind of been not the forgotten man, but he hung with it, mm -hmm. plays QB, and now he's starting to shine. I think it's pretty cool. Dan, speaking of Kyler, second down. I was definitely one of those guys that questioned the Cardinals in moving on from Josh Rosen so quickly to take Kyler Murray with the first pick in the draft. And I will admit to you, I was wrong. Kyler Murray passed for 406 yards and three touchdowns yesterday, had one interception for a passer rating of 127.8, had a rushing touchdown. He now has nine games this year with both a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown. That's the most by a quarterback in a single season in NFL history. Murray has 10 games like that with a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown. He's the fourth quarterback with 10 such games, joining Cam Newton, Josh Allen, and Steve Grogan, who was with the Patriots back in the 80s. Murray has 26 touchdown passes and 11 rushing touchdowns this season. He joins Cam Newton as the only quarterbacks with at least 25 touchdown passes and 10 rushing touchdowns in a single season in NFL history. Not only is Kyler Murray great, he's historically great. Wow, that's pretty good. I was thinking as you were rattling off all that stuff, so rushing and passing, he's done that. He's the first to do that in all those games. I'm trying to think where he would rank right now among QBs in the NFL. Mahomes is, I would assume, number one. Mm -hmm. But then a collection of guys. You know, you think about Green Bay. They got a pretty good one up there. He's pretty darn good. Yeah. The guy in Seattle, he's pretty darn good. Um, but Kyler Murray, is he top five? He is. I don't think he's top five, but I think he's top ten. Oh, for sure top I, ten. I, 
I still don't think that he's reached the level of Lamar Jackson, okay. for example. But you think about the guys that you would rather have, or that, that you'd rather have Murray then. Obviously, like you say, Mahomes, I think I'd still rather have Deshaun Watson than him. Josh Allen, you'd take over Murray. Rodgers, you'd take over Murray. Wilson, you'd take over Murray. But then you get into the Matt Ryan, I don't know, Brady, Randy. Justin Herbert, Stafford. He's uh, so young, though. Golf. That's a thing. Yeah. He's only going to get better and better. No, he's he he's definitely there in that second five, no doubt about it. And if you're starting a team, then he's one of the top guys. Yeah, for sure. Third down. Well, Tanner, you came into the studio today. Your dauber was down. You were a little bit emotional. And I'm emotional, too, because I'm fairly happy about this. How about our Jets? They go into L.A. and win. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. Their first win of the year. But only the Jets could screw this up, though, Randy. They get the first win. They do it against the Rams. Mm -hmm. I'm really happy. But now they don't have the first overall pick. So does Trevor Lawrence go to Jacksonville? Yeah. I think so, because the Jets... By virtue of the win over Sean McVay and the Rams, now they are the second pick, and Jacksonville has the first overall pick. Mm -hmm. I can't believe it. So there's Jets fans that are going crazy. They would have rather lost the game and said, I want Trevor Lawrence because it doesn't matter anyway. Let's just go winless for the year. Get Trevor. Get him here. Franchise QB. Instead, they go to L.A., the most improbable of wins, and they beat Sean McVay. Sean McVay, who has never said a bad thing, even was distraught after the uh, after the loss yesterday. He, he was not happy. Well, not happy at all. That's, hey, that's how, how football go. Uh, th- that's how it go. <laughs> You're right. I agree with you, but I was very pleased well, to see the Jets do that. I wonder if Jacksonville now, they already fired their GM. They're going to fire their coach. Shad Khan has a lot of money. He's a multi-billionaire. They're in the Southeast. Are they the franchise that gives Dabo the money and the control mm. that would uh, cause him to think about leaving Clemson? I think Dabo, if he was going to do it, would do it for Trevor Lawrence. But that might be it. Yeah, and Trevor I don't know Lawrence the situation, the but that would be it. You know, you say, hey, we get a, he gets a John Gruden-type deal. Mm-hmm. He goes there. He's got his guy. He knows his guy inside and out. And he says, okay, that's my guy. I can win with him. I know I can win with him. And if I ever had that inkling to be an NFL coach, this is it. Because that's the guy. The problem is you don't know where you're going to be. That's true. You may be in Europe. Yeah, which Dabo does not want to be. No. If they move, where do you think they go? I I think London is the only real possibility. That's kind of where I'm thinking, too. I don't think there's another U.S. city right now where you say that's a logical spot for an NFL team to relocate. Nope. Nope, it's got to be Europe. Fourth down. Dan, in his NFL career, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers started with a uh, record of 28-20. and 20. Deshaun Watson, Houston Texans, has started his NFL career with a record of 28-20. and 20. Mitchell Trubisky of the Bears has started his career with a record of 28-20. and 20. Franchise QB, Randy. This year, the Bears are 5-2 <laughs> and two with Mitchell Trubisky starting, and they're 2-5 and five with Nick Foles starting. Since coming back after Nick Foles' injury, Trubisky is 76 for 113, 67.3%, 776 yards, seven touchdowns, two interceptions. He leads the Bears to a 33-26 victory over the Vikings yesterday, and 
He's not going to be Mahomes. He's not going to be Watson. But he is going to be Mitchell Trubisky. And Bears fans are down on him because he isn't Mahomes or Watson. Maybe you should just look at and appreciate what you have. Hey, you know what? If you'd have kept him in the lineup all year and not benched him because it didn't look good, you'd be a whole hell of a lot better off than you are, and you'd be in the playoffs right now. Well, they may make the playoffs. Anyway, even though they went to Foles. Yeah. Randy, they're running the football. They're running differently than they did in the beginning of the year. They have changed their play caller. Bill Lazor yes. is now their play caller. Matt Nagy has relinquished the play calling duties, and that helps as well. That makes Come Mitch on. look a lot better. And, by the way, if you're watching the game, late in that game, he had an interception as they were going down to seal it in the end zone. You can't do that. But they won. Okay, they won. Take the W. That's, Just get the dub. That's the main stat. Get the dub, dog. Yeah. I'm with you. All right. That's four downs on 101 ESPN. Next up, Mike Schilt met with the media on Friday and says he's pretty optimistic about Yadier Molina coming back. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Danny Mac, I'm Randy. Great to have you with us on a Monday morning on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals skipper Mike Schilt met virtually with the media on Friday afternoon. And, of course, one of the things that was discussed was the possibility of Yadier Molina, the free agent, returning to the Cardinal fold. I'm optimistic, um, and I don't think I'm a a blind optimist, but I'm an optimist by nature. Um, Clearly, I want him back. Both are you know, multi-generational players for us that have had long-term success and are, you know, a big fabric of our club and, and um, have been for a while in our culture um, on and off the field. So, you know, definitely want to have them back. They, they both know that. That being said, everybody understands it is a business. And, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a, a entity in, involved in this that doesn't want them to come back. It's just a matter of how it can get worked out. You know, that's, that's a big part of, of, you know, our, our organization, but you know, that well, time will tell and it'll probably tell relatively soon and uh, relative to, you know, thinking about, you know, life without Yachty, um, you know, my head's not there. I, I don't, you know, choose to put my, my mindset there because, you know, it's a hard place for me to go um, mentally. I'm not naive that it may not, you know, you may not come, you know, may not come back. I, I get that. Uh, and then we'll pivot. But um, as far as putting mental energy towards thinking about, um, number four, not being behind the plate for us, haven't put a lot of consideration to that. I would assume that that decision has to come fairly soon, Randy. We're under two months away from the start of spring training. Mike did indicate that all signs point to reporting to camp. Maybe it gets started a week later. I mean, we just don't know, but camp would start roughly February 12th, 13th. Um, and, you know, without knowing, as we've said many, many times, if there's going to be fans in the stands or what capacity, it's tough to understand what's coming in and then setting a payroll. Then you have an understanding of what you can pay Yachty and what you can pay Wayne, uh, Wainwright. But if they don't, he talked about pivoting. They they got to figure out what the backup plan is. Is it Kisner? Is it somebody else to go outside the organization? And those decisions got to be made fairly soon mm-hmm. as they, I would assume that this starts to gain some momentum, especially after, this Friday, I would have to assume that, or after the first of you know January first, because at that point, then all signs really the focal point of baseball becomes okay. Now we're starting to finalize deals and get this thing ready to roll and get ready for spring training. And I don't think that there's a spot for Yadier Molina, logically speaking, until Real Muto signs for setting the market. Yeah, because you already had McCann, 
I think McCann, though, sets the market for Yachty because Real Muto is on a different level. But th- those teams that might be interested, sure. Nationals, I understand Mets, what you're saying there. Yes. Phillies that, that might that think they give Real Muto, then yeah. Yachty might be the next guy beyond sure. them, right? That makes sense. Yachty did go to Instagram yesterday, and he wrote – in Spanish, I got Google Translator here. Uh, tell me, my people, for which team would you like me to play? I want to read them. Let's go. And uh, so he is still wanting other people to make the decision for him rather than himself. Well, I'm sure he'll come down to a decision that he'll make himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think the Yankees might be in the in the hunt there. You know, Gary Sanchez, not a good year. Really not a good no. year and a half. Right. And if you're Yachty, the Big Apple is enticing, I, I would think. Now, McCann is signed with the Mets, but you got to wonder if the Yankees are still kind of lurking there and saying, we have our interest. And by the way, we got money and mm-hmm. we're willing to spend some of that. I, I, I just wonder if that's a team that's there. And to your point, the other teams that are out there would make sense Washington, San Diego, maybe the Angels. And those are teams that could spend some money. As far as the Yankees are concerned, though. If you have a starting rotation that includes Luis Severino coming back from the arm injury and Tommy John, Domingo Herman, Davy Cruz, if you have a young Latin pitching staff, he's going to make a huge difference for those guys. Yadier Molina is. And his veteran presence, I think, his veteran winning presence benefits that team because Judge doesn't have that. Hicks doesn't have that. Stan doesn't have that. Uh, you don't have it at shortstop now with Torres. You don't know if you're getting LeMahieu back or not, but he doesn't have it. Luke Voigt, they, they don't have a lot of championship pedigree, even though they're the Yankees. The, the the one guy that they could bring in that would provide that knowledge of how to traverse a pennant race in a postseason is Yachty. And then switching the narrative here or the story would be Wayno. What do you do with Wayno here? Now, we've talked a little bit about what your rotation may look like, KK, Flaherty, Michaelis. I think we th- we believe that those three are etched in stone. Mm-hmm. Um, Gomber, Reyes would be the other two that I, I think maybe had the inside track minus Wainwright. Agreed. So that we're saying that he's not there. And then you've got Henesis Cabrera, Carlos Martinez, Ryan Helsley, John Gant, Johan Oviedo, uh, Woodford, Ponce de Leon, all probably going into camp and being told right now, stretch out as a starter, be ready to go in camp and potentially start. And you never know what happens in camp. Sometimes guys have great camps and they take off and other guys don't, and they win that job. In the bullpen, Whitley, Webb, Miller, Gallegos, Hicks, Fernandez, Elledge, Meisinger, and then Libertor Thompson at some point come up this year, I would think. Um, do you want Adam Wainwright back? And, uh, again, it comes down to the price tag, but do you want him in your rotation? Dan, Adam Wainwright is my favorite player. Let me preface that and repeat that. Adam Wainwright is my favorite player on the Cardinals. All right? But the Cardinals are not winning the World Series in 2021, whether Adam Wainwright is a part of their team or not. And they're going to ascend with people like Carlson and Flaherty and hopefully Gorman and hopefully Gomber and hopefully Reyes in 22. If, if I were in charge, and I'm much colder and unemotional about this than many fans are, I would plan on playing my season without Adam Wainwright and finding out what the kids can do. I'm, I want to gear up for my next shot at winning a World Series. And I don't think the next time I'm ready to win a World Series 
Yadier Molina or Adam Wainwright are going to be there. I That's a cold, unemotional approach to take. And I know fan is short for fanatic. We're heavily invested emotionally. We don't want to take that approach. But if I want to win in 2022 and beyond, I think I would rather have my players prepared to to start pitching or playing for six months. And that starts in 2021. You have a chance to win this year because the division is down. Now we you can win the division. You can win the division. Once you get in, you never know what happens. It, the, the, the organization, I don't think, would ever say this is a transition year. But following up on your point, the point is you have a lot of money coming off the books and then young players emerging. So... Yachty, I disagree with you on this. Yachty could be part of, if he gets a two-year deal or a year and an option, that next year, maybe not this upcoming season, but the following year, you would be pretty darn good. I mean, you can transform that team fairly quickly. Um, and who knows with Wainwright? I mean, at that point, he's, what, 41 years old? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty old. Pretty, it's a lot, a, of, a lot of mileage on that body and that elbow and that shoulder. But Yachty, I think, could be part of it. I do. Um it depends how much they want to go out and spend. And also, you would like to think that our world is completely changed, and that means our sports world, too, to where mm-hmm. you can congregate, go down to the ballpark. You're not worried about fans in the stands. Oh, by the way, there's a CBA in place, too, so we're having baseball. But let's just say we do, for argument's sake, they could be aggressive and spend and change that lineup very quickly. Well, I think they would need to because I think at this stage and at that stage – Yadier Molina is your number eight hitter. He, If you're going to win with Yadier Molina as your catcher, he can't hit fifth. He can't hit sixth. He's got to be your number eight hitter. And that's going into this season, too. I agree. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons that I say find out about Kisner for better or worse and then find out about Herrera. And this particular offseason, you have so many catchers on the market, too. So you, you could get a guy that – isn't intent upon playing 130 games like Yachty will be and hopefully find out about Kisner. Now, I I know they didn't give him an opportunity last year, but that's one thing that Moselak has said twice now is we want to see Kisner get more of an opportunity. The delicate thing of this, too, and and as you said, you're you're trying not to be – you're kind of cold about this. You're taking the the business approach of this. That's the the way that they have to approach it, too. I I wonder – because part of business is – appealing your appeasing to you know your fan base mm-hmm. and trying to appeal to them and not only win because winning is what's going to bring people to the ballpark but walking the fine line with a legend in your uniform to have him finish his career here to bring people to the ballpark and he will do that he, mm-hmm. you know if you knew that this is it this is the final year you're going to see him you're going to buy a ticket I would think. I think a lot of fans would. I think they would say, let's go see him play one more time. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's not going to be another one of those guys walking through, maybe in my lifetime, of watching him catch no. defensively. He was He's unbelievable. And he's still, at, by the way, he's still at a high level. He's not where he was. He's still really good. And that the metrics would bear that out. Um, and he handles the pitching staff and all the little intangibles that we talk about. So you walk that fine line, too, of being cold, but yet it's business, and you say, okay, he's not the offensive player that maybe we're looking to upgrade there, you know, at that position, but yet is it worth bringing him back because our fans want to see him back, too? And from their perspective... if And, from, and if you're not going to yeah, win. Right. From a business perspective, yes, but 
is he going to be amenable to to allowing the other mm. guy to play? That's yeah. that's my big question because the the main reason that I would let him go and bring in a catcher from the outside is because I do want to see Kisner. I want to find out what I have for 2022 and beyond. Herrera's not playing this year and probably not 22 either. So do I need to go get another catcher for 2022? I, I want to find out where I stand, and he can allow me to do that if if I bring him back. But he's got to say, look, I'm on board with what you're doing. So the question to me is, is Kisner, internally, do they feel that Kisner can be the guy, or are they just trying to bridge the gap to Herrera? And if you're bridging the gap to Herrera, then you bring Yachty back, in my opinion. Yeah, and then if there's somebody out there to take Kisner off your hands— Sign Tyler Heineman, and he's hey, he's a major league catcher. He, yeah, he caught in the major leagues last year. If Kisner has market value, then you move him. I would think he does. Yeah, I would think so too. I mean, Carson Kelly did. I gotta wonder too how gun shy the Cardinals want to be about dealing somebody right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would, just, I know I would be. I would too. I really would be. Yeah. And even most addressed it. He said we have to take a better look at what we have in house after the Arozarena mm-hmm. situation. He said we got to evaluate our own people, make sure we're. Taking a hard look at what we got. I get it. Yeah, I do too. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way on a Monday on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Dan and Randy with you on 101 ESPN. Dan, the New England Patriots' historic run of making the playoffs is over. The Buffalo Bills clinching the AFC East for the first time in 25 years yesterday. The Patriots had been to the playoffs in 11 consecutive years. They won't be in 2020. Take it or leave it. This is longer than a one-year playoff drought for the Patriots. I'm going to leave that because they had some opt-outs. They got Bill Belichick. They'll probably do some wonders in the draft. So I think they get back in next year. Take it or leave it for you. If, uh, well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I, no, no. I just, uh, I think when you look at how good Buffalo and Miami are. Uh, that's true. I think that uh, the Patriots could be uh, in for a little bit of a uh, run of struggling. Take it or leave it. If Tom Brady came back, they made the playoffs. I'll take it. You think so? Yep. He's playing great. Big comeback yesterday. They were down, what, 17 yep. yesterday? Yeah. And the problem for the Patriots has been Cam Newton but yeah. in many instances. Absolutely. Tanner, what do we have? 65780 is our Air Comfort Service text line. Well, from the Air Comfort Service text line, 636, take it or leave it, 35 wins for the Blues this season. Out of 56, 35, 45, 55, 34. Uh, I'm going to leave, leave that. Yeah, I'd love to see it, but I don't think they'll get that many. That, that'd be a high level of hockey. I think with all the, the games condensed, it's going to be tough to do that. And the, the division that they're in with the competition top heavy, I, it's, that's awfully tough. you got to yeah. play those guys eight times. Evs, you're looking at um, Vegas. Vegas. Mm, yeah. 35 about would be that. nice, but I don't think so. I don't either. 
take it or leave it trevor lawrence was disappointed the jets won yesterday because now he has to go to jacksonville instead of a big market like new york take it uh, i'm gonna leave it i don't think he wanted to go to either of those i don't i, I wonder if that really mattered yeah, but i guess you'd rather go to new york than jacksonville if you're gonna be the number one pick you're going to a place that stinks anyway mm-hmm. so if you're gonna stink you might as well go to a place that you're gonna get paid a lot of money from your team but you can market yourself and there's no yep. better place to go get yourself marketed than new york the jets are an historically bad organization haven't been to a super bowl since 1969 the 69 season 70 super bowl and they rarely make the playoffs marketable guy though he he will be marketable that part of it will be nice for as long as he plays so i'm going new york if you're gonna uh, go anywhere you go yeah, to new york. well you take new york over jacks yeah. definitely yeah Take it or leave it, the Houston Texans will be a playoff team next year. I'm going to leave it because I don't know who their coach is going to be. I still like their talent, but, man, I I like the way that Tennessee and Indy play. Both of them are very well coached. Take it. I love Deshaun Watson. I do, too. Love him. Doesn't get enough credit for how good he is. He's being wasted. Yes, he is. I'm going to take it. From the 618, take it or leave it, Northwestern coach is supposedly a hot target among NFL teams. He will be the coach for Deshaun, or excuse me, not Deshaun Watson, for Trevor Lawrence this year. Leave it. Leave it. I think he stays. I think he stays, and if he goes, he's going to go to a better job than Jacksonville. Yeah. From the 618, take it or leave it, the Ryan O'Reilly trade is among the Mount Rushmore of trades in St. Louis sports history. Well, mm. you've got the Brock trade. You've got, uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. Ozzie, Wayno, uh, Marshall Falk. Yeah. So he, Ozzie's a Hall of Famer. Brock's a Hall of Famer. I'm not sure it's even the best Blues trade, though. The Hully trade. Hully trade was awfully good. The Pronger trade was awfully good. Both Hall of Famers. Um, I'm going to leave it for now. I, I will leave it. We'll see how this plays out. Yeah. But if we Time have, will tell. If, we if do he have, wins another cup. Yeah. If we do have a Mount Rushmore of trades, Brock. Number one. Number one. I think Ozzy's two. Yeah. H- Hully? Hully they, gets the building down there. Yeah, right. And the excitement of, I mean, yeah. think about how much the tentacles of the whole trade to me are mm-hmm. massive. Not only the building, but the excitement. How many kids started playing hockey and enjoying the blues and got interested more so in just watching and playing because of Brett Hall. And you could argue that in 91, 91. He was the biggest sports star in America. He was unbelievable. Yeah. It was awesome. Yep. The 86. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah. And then the Falk trade. You give up a two and a five for a guy yeah. that is the uh, offensive player of the year for the greatest show on turf. We don't talk about that enough. No. Pretty the good. The Falk deal. Yep. And then he won MVP in 2000. Right. And then player of the year again in 2001. So, yeah, that's a pretty good trade, too. Yep. From the 618, take it or leave it, Charlie Woods will have a PGA win by age 20. Take it. Leave it. Too many great young players. I'm not saying he's not going to be good. By the way, he looks like his dad. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah. The mannerisms, the way he finishes. How about when he twirled his club yep. when he hits a good one? Amazing. He's got a feel for it. I'm going to leave it, though. So I said to my daughter yesterday as we were watching this, I said, do you think if you and I would play Tiger and Charlie. And Tiger would only be allowed one shot all day that we could beat them. No. No, Charlie Charlie would beat both of us. Playing best ball. Pretty impressive to go out. How old is he, 11? 11. 
pretty impressive with national television audience. Yep. Your dad is Tiger Woods, and to handle the pressure, pretty pretty awesome. That was great. Yeah, pretty neat. From the six three six, take it or leave it. It's still okay to give Christmas gifts to your adult children. Oh, to- totally. Of course, yes. To- take that. Yeah, it's it it is totally okay to give Christmas gifts to anybody. I, yeah, blanket statement. That's perfect, Randy. Yeah. Well put. Thank In you. this time of giving. Yeah. Yes. From the 618, take it or leave it. The Illini are better suited for a deep tournament run than Mizzou and SLU. I'm going to leave that. I actually think SLU could wind up having a better run than those two teams. I really do. SLU's deep. SLU's deeper than people realize. Mm-hmm. You're, you're looking good. at me like I got two no, heads. I, I'm just, I'm, no, I'm just thinking about Illinois. Illinois has a superstar. They do. And they're going to play in a really good conference. I mean, right. Big Ten is loaded. Yeah, so they'll be well tested, tested by the yep. time we get to the tournament. That's the only difference I see. But, man, that slew depth and the fact that they have so much experience, I th- it's just a hard question for me to answer. I- I'm going to say that I- I'm going to say 1 and 1A one are slew and Illinois. And then I'm going to put Mizzou at the moment, even though they're great, as my B. Okay. I, I think I would agree. I'm going to go slew. Yeah, I'll go slew at the top, yeah. though. As currently constructed. Yeah, but, man, things change a lot in college basketball. Yeah. Take it or leave it. The Illini will drop out of the top 25, even though their three losses have mm. been to top 25 teams. I think I'm going to leave that. I think they'll be top 25. It'll be, like, number 23, the fighting Illini, when the yeah, rankings totally. come out. Yeah. Take it or leave it. The New England Patriots will return back to form next year, but they will have Jared Stidham as their starting quarterback. Leave it. Leave it. They'll have a different quarterback. Yep. <laughs> That'd be good. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Next up, how will Mizzou fare in the Music City Bowl against Iowa? That's coming your way. That and other things on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. It's 8.03 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Iowa finished 6-2 and two in their truncated Big Ten season. They finished 15th overall. Mizzou was out of the rankings. They finished at 500. And those two teams, Iowa and Mizzou, will play in the Music City Bowl coming up on December 30th in Nashville. I'm excited that in his first year, Dan, that Eli Drinkwitz has gotten Mizzou to a bowl game. That's still a, a big deal for college football programs is to be able to, to tell recruits Hey, we're, we're going to go to a bowl game. We go every year. And from a recruiting standpoint, you're going to have kids off of school, 16-year-olds that want to find a f- football fix on December 30th, and they're going to be watching Mizzou. It'll be a big deal for them. they got to win it. Yeah, you're on national TV. That's that's the big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Roundtree is going to play, as I mentioned earlier. So he is about 27 yards shy, I believe, something like that, 30 yards shy of 1,000. Basilak, after watching him over the weekend with the three INTs, you know he's chomping to get back mm-hmm. out there. And I think if you're Eli, you're just trying to get any game you can because you, you, you want to play. I mean, 
at the very beginning of this season, just taking it from the players' perspective, they all were saying, we just want to play. Remember that? Mm -hmm. That was the theme. We just want to play. Well, now here's your opportunity. You get to play. Um, So I think it's important that they do that. It's it's, um, a tough opponent in Iowa. I'm not sure they're going to win that game. I would hate to see them finish under 500 with a three-game losing streak for Mizzou. And I did not think they looked good over the weekend. That was a disappointing loss. And they've allowed 100 points in their last two games, which is pretty rugged. Ordinarily, with a bowl, you get an extra month of practice. You get a week in the city that you're going to. You get all the swag that comes with being in a bowl game. They'll still get all the, the fun stuff, but you won't get the experience. So for Eli Drinkwitz and Mizzou, what's the real value in getting to a bowl this year? Yeah, I think the prestige of playing in a bowl game, specifically the Music City Bowl that's recognized um, by recruits. They're going to be sitting around on December watching that, flipping through the channels, and and that Mizzou logo is going to be on there in an NFL stadium. And and uh, I think anytime you can be you know, out there uh, doing something, uh, playing the game, um, that's going to represent well with recruiting. Again, at a great city that we recruit, uh, in the footprint that we recruit, so uh, any any exposure is good exposure, right? So all of that makes sense. It, that's why it was always so great for them to play in those Texas bowl games and they oh. could bring kids down to the sidelines. Or it would have been nice to get to Florida and do either the Gator Bowl or the Outback. But this, I, in a normal year, for Mizzou fans, this would be the ideal bowl. Oh, well, you could, tra- you could drive there. Yep. Not that big a deal just to to drive and go there and see it there will be some fans in the stands um but you know the bowl season as you mentioned this isn't like normal years you got some bad teams and some bowls this year but to the basic point that he made which is the important one is that your program is on national tv yeah and you know that it's free advertising man you know you tell your recruits you tell hey we're we're playing today see how we play see if we like our style see what they're saying about us all those things that's a big deal and this is a normal year setup for mizzou because if you go 500 you're going to a bowl game if you're right. if you're a football bowl subdivision team and you go 500 if you go six and six in a normal year you're going to bowl and Iowa was six and two so they would be in the bowl also so this bowl in and of itself is not like the bowls that you're talking about where three and six teams are going three and like Mississippi State going right. to a bowl game this is isn't one of those so normally you'd have a couple of blood donors at the beginning of the season so you'd have you'd be seven and five going into this bowl game typically yeah and saying that you did okay in the SEC you're 500 um, but still to the big uh, the biggest point is you're still on display you're still playing here's my concern though Randy he Eli talked about go, letting his kids go home for Christmas mm-hmm. and then coming back and then being able to go back home for New Year's, which is doesn't matter. It's December 30th is the game. Are you concerned about kids going home from Christmas, being exposed to family and friends, not being in the pseudo bubble of what is, you know, if you're on campus, you're, the, the kids are not around you because you're around the program. It's, it's very regimented. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we're going to have some of these instances that pop up with these programs that allow their kids to go home. I hope that's not the case. Boy, I pray that's not the case, that these kids stay safe. But I do wonder about that. And Mizzou many times was playing 
their games with 52 to 54 kids yeah. available. I, 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 that concerns me coming back from Christmas break. And they'll likely have less than 60 available for yeah. this game anyway. Right. With so the injuries he, yeah, and COVID so and all the different concern. things. I guess the one thing that they can look at is, hey, most of our guys have already had it. Yeah. I, there's a lot of guys. I mean, there was. I can't remember what program I was reading about. Um, basketball team, good team, top 25. Coach came out this last week and said all our kids have had it. Every one of our yeah. kids on the roster so have had COVID. Build up antibodies. And, I, but I, that is good. a concern. I, Definitely. I, you know, I, if you're the coach, I think the first thing you say is, by the way, we're playing Iowa. Um, we'll get to the tape. We'll get to our roles. We'll get to what we're going to do. Stay safe. You have yeah. to be diligent with this. Because if you come back and spread it, we got a problem. Yeah. Dan, it's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame as the top four. I believe the only team that had any sort of an argument to get into that top four that isn't in it is Texas A&M. I know a lot of people think that the unbeaten teams, Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina, should, but I think that we can all agree Unless well, you should just be on the committee well, then, Randy. Uh, unless we're You a should grad. just be sitting there on the committee I, I with know. Gary Barta and watching those teams go undefeated and say, guys, you know, eye test just tells me they're undefeated, but they don't deserve it, so let's go with the big boys. That's what you should do. Yeah, I, you're right there. Well, by the way, you are. But that, I'm making the plight of the little yeah. guy here, the, the, the you know, David Goliath here. Here's the question I have, and, and my answer is in the affirmative. Has Ohio State done enough to convince you that they're one of the top four teams in the country? Then it goes down to, for me, have they played enough games? That's all it comes down to. And they didn't look great against Indiana. It it is Ohio State. So that's all we need to know, right? Is have they played enough games? Because Ohio State on an annual basis, they're Ohio State. Right. The same group, essentially. And they they lost some players. Justin Fields is a stud. Right. Uh, Sermon ran for 300 and whatever right. yards la- the uh, the other day against Northwestern. Can they, we just call it what it is? You're going to get the money. Yeah, they just, are, just let's well, just call it like it is. But you also have a, a team in Ohio State that I'm of the belief that unless there's a major slip up, they maybe they slip up once and they lose one game like Clemson did, or like Notre Dame did, or like Texas A&M did. But they would still be the Big Ten champs, and they would have a 12-1 and record. So even if they play 13 games, they're still going to be in the Final Four. So Ohio, Ohio State, State though, lost to Indiana. Do you think they're in the college football playoff with one loss? With a 5-1 and one record? Yeah, no, I, I don't, don't either. think they are. So they had to go undefeated. So give them credit for that. I, I, you yeah. know, you have to do that. But... I guess where you give Notre Dame the the check mark is the fact that they beat North Carolina, they beat Clemson, um, then lost badly. I mean that 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 game was not close over no. the weekend. Trevor Lawrence was awesome, and they were dominated at the line of scrimmage, which was the difference in the first game. Clemson absolutely dominated them at the line of scrimmage. Are they going into this college football playoff one of the top four teams? Do they have a shot against Alabama? No, but. The thing is that A&M lost Alabama 52-24. So it's probably the same shot, right? Notre Dame. Okay, if you had to put A&M. If you had to put it on, if you if they said to you, who, you had to pick an upset, okay, Randy? You're, mm-hmm. you're at the committee and you said, and your best chance of an upset was either Notre Dame or Texas A&M against Alabama. Who are you going with? Are you going with an SEC team or are you going with now an ACC Notre Dame? I'm going with the SEC team that's won seven in a row. Yeah, I am too. 
but it's really tough to say that Notre Dame played their schedule and beat those two teams I talked about and pushed them out. And the only loss was to the number two team in the country. That's what I mean. Yeah, right. And and an SEC team, by the way, that's never happened before to have that the kind of schedule that they played mm-hmm. and their, their win-loss record and be out of the college football playoff. First time now. Crazy year. Yep. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And Kevin Seifert of ESPN.com is going to talk about the NFL playoff scenarios and what the Jets did yesterday. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. the voice of the Cardinals on FS Midwest Dan McLaughlin. I'm Randy Carricker and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Kevin Seifert of ESPN.com joins us to talk a little NFL. Kevin, good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm good morning. How are you guys? Everything's great. Obviously here in St. Louis, we're very happy that our our favorite team yesterday, the Jets, came away with a victory. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered about that and I I thought that was... uh... It was uh, pretty entertaining to see that happen. But unfortunately, if you're really anti-Rams, uh, it did not do a lot for their to hurt their playoff chances. They're going to have to really, really have a lot of Jets-like uh, appearances <laughs> to, to miss the playoffs this year. What do you think that does now in terms of – we were talking before uh, you came on about Trevor Lawrence and Jacksonville and New York and what's the best fit and how it all go. What do you think now that it potentially could go to Jacksonville, that number one overall pick in Trevor Lawrence? Um, and ter- if I were Trevor Lawrence, I don't know if I would feel any better about it, <laughs> to be honest. Uh-huh. You know, uh, those are, uh, you know, when you if you make a list of the of the franchise records of the, in this century in the NFL, those are two of the worst. And currently, they're both in uh, very tenuous spots in terms of having, uh, you know, likely coaching changes. Jacksonville already has a GM change. So if you're a quarterback like Trevor Lawrence and you're looking to go somewhere and and uh, and that gives you a chance to succeed, I'm not sure you'd want one over the other. But in terms of the likelihood, it seems very likely that uh, Jacksonville is going to get him. And, you know, we'll, and we'll see. I mean, they uh, it's hard to look at that franchise and say that they have anything, you know, really going for them right now. And so he would – certainly be from their perspective he would be the guy that they would want to build around but you'd have to uh you know, hit the pause on whether they have the capacity to uh to, to to build until at least we find out who their general manager is going to be espn.com's kevin seifert with us on 101 espn you can follow kevin on twitter at seifert that's s-e-i-f-e-r-t seifert espn it would seem to me, Kevin, that if the Packers wind up with the home field and the bye and the home field in the NFC, that the Packers are, with all due respect to the the New Orleans Saints, Packers would be kind of prohibitive to win the NFC, wouldn't they? I would think so. You know, they the interesting thing, um, you know, and I've kept tabs on them for a long time. I used to write the NFC North blog for, for ESPN, so I've kind of semi-covered them for a long time. In recent years, they Lambeau Field has not been sort of the playoff um, uh, guarantee that that we once thought it was. Uh, you know, you can think back to when the Giants beat them in the NFC Championship game, and then the 49ers have, uh, went there and beat them in the in the playoffs one year. And um, there's been a couple other games where they have not uh, been able to get that um, extra advantage. And certainly, 
this year in terms of fans, they wouldn't get it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wet weather is, is certainly, I think, probably depends on who the opponent is going to be. But that said, if you look at just the, the quality of the teams in the conference, you know, who, who do you think could necessarily go there for sure and beat them? You know, Tampa Bay has already beaten them pretty handily. Um, and, you know, maybe they could uh, use that same formula. But I look at it more as, like, who is who is better in the conference than them? And I don't know that I could, I could name someone that I would think is, like, a really sneaky team to go up there and win. Um, it might be that all the teams are, are pretty crunched together with the Packers just having the best quarterback in the conference. Um, and that might be enough. But um, they're certainly not a team that I look at right now and say, well, that's, that's a really scary team and, and not one if I were the Packers I would be, I'd want to, to see in, in Lambeau. Hey, Kevin, it's, it's really interesting what's going on in Philly with Carson Wentz and some of the reports saying he wants to move on if things don't change and Jalen Hurts had another big game. How do you think that plays out for the Eagles and what they do moving forward? I mean, it's hard to look at what's happened in probably the past three weeks in Philadelphia and think that, somehow Carson Wentz is going to come back and be their week one starter next year, assuming Jalen Hurts is healthy. You know, plenty, I suppose there's certainly plenty of time between now and then, and a lot of things could be healed and mended. But, uh, and maybe for all we know, Carson Wentz gets back in the game this year and, and dominates for a couple games and they feel better about it going in the off season. But if things continue the way they are now, you know, and, and if you're the Eagles or you're Doug Peterson and, and you really want to win, like how could you justify uh, ignoring what's in front of you, which is that at least at this point, Jalen Hurts is, is, is a better player. And, uh, you know, that, that's a heady long-term decision. And we know that there's lots of obstacles to making Carson Wentz your backup or getting, or, you know, parting ways with him. But just in terms of like what we've seen with our own eyes and what the Eagles have certainly seen with their own eyes, it's hard to imagine things being reversed uh, absent some kind of artificial event, like an injury to Jalen Hurts or, some kind of really weird uh, episode that ends up with Carson Wentz back on the field and, and doing 180 degrees performance-wise from what he was doing really for the past two years. Speaking of moving on from a quarterback, yesterday not only upended the Jaguars and the Jets situations, but it really upended Sam Darnold's situation, didn't it? Because I don't know if there's a guy that the Jets now look at in the draft, and there, there might be. Maybe it's Trask, maybe it's Fields, but – I it was clear that Trevor Lawrence was way better than Sam Darnold, but now yeah. I'm not so sure. It's a good point. And, uh, you know, that'll be a decision uh, that the Jets general manager and, and probably their new coach will have to make ultimately. And if you're a new coach, if you're a coach interviewing with the Jets, I suppose uh, you're trying to, you know, one of your calling cards is here's how I can, I can turn Sam Darnold around. I feel terrible for him because we were just talking about Trevor Lawrence and going to a place where, you have a chance to succeed, you know, in retrospect, you know, Sam Darnold, because of the Jets, you know, situation, their dysfunction, the, their lack of uh, ability to, to build a team, he went there and had no chance. And so who knows what would have happened if he'd have been with Andy Reid or with somebody, or, you know, even a Bill Belichick or somebody who, you know, you, you would feel reasonably confident would get the best out of whatever he had to offer. I don't know if we even know what that is. And so, We'll see. You know, he's been, if you look at the numbers, he's amongst the very lowest quarterbacks ranked, qualified quarterbacks ranked in mm-hmm. total QBR in the past three years. I mean, so it's not like it's ever been really good. Um, you know, we've seen some glimpses, and we know he has the physical traits, but 
um, three years of, of what we've seen, you know, maybe that's that, you know, who knows what, what the Jets uh, GM and new coach will decide, but I would imagine that if they end up being the number two pick part of the new, you know, assuming there is a new coach, that guy's uh, selling point is going to be, here's how we can, we can salvage him. Hey, Kevin, a couple of questions here. Uh, could the Bucks come out of the NFC, number one? And number two, uh, evaluate the season for Tom Brady now that you've had a chance to watch the better part of the year. So could the Bucks be the number one overall? They actually they actually do have a slight chance of being the number one overall um, uh, uh, ranking and for heading into the playoffs, getting home field advantage. I don't think that's going to happen. But and in terms of can they get to the Super Bowl, like I, I – I would have to see more of, um, you know, something different than what we've seen for the first 14 games of their season. You know, you, there's lots of uh, situations where a lot of, you know, in, in recent history where a lot of new players come together and it takes them some time to gel and, and then they finally get it going towards the end of the year. I don't think that the Tampa's at that finally getting it going at the end of the year uh, spot that makes me think they could run through the playoffs, you know, Maybe we'll see something in the last two weeks. You know, the, the comeback against Atlanta yesterday was certainly significant. And overall, the, the Tom Brady uh, you know, experience in Tampa has told me that he definitely makes a difference. I mean, I don't know that they win nine games without him. Um, so that's certainly something to be said. But I, I really think that when you, you know, you look at the history of sort of, you know, all-star, you know, free agent teams, when whether it was been trying to do it or one year uh, Philadelphia tried to do it you've seen some other examples where people just keep bringing in name guys and hope that it all meshes together it doesn't often work and so um, I think he's made an improvement on their team uh, there's no there's no doubt about that they you know they've won more games than they would have without him and you can see what's happened in New England as uh, as an example of, of his value to a team still but I don't know that I see them playing in a way that makes me think as we were talking earlier, that they're a team that's ready to catch fire and, and, and roll through the playoffs. Kevin, before we let you go, there are a lot of Chiefs fans listening, and obviously the Chiefs are going to be favored in every playoff game that they do play. But if you could pick out a team for us that has the best opportunity in the AFC to get the Chiefs before they get this to the Super Bowl, who would it be? Well, if you're talking about teams that are suddenly playing really well, um, you know, there's two. Like to me, the the Bills. I think you know. They, I know they've already played them and lost, but they're a team that's really. I mean, the only team. You, know, you look at, at the past two months. You know, they lost that game to the uh, to to Arizona on a on a hail mary, and and really they should have been essentially undefeated here for the past two months. And so they're playing great, headed into the playoffs, um, and can certainly score a lot if that's what it ends up being. That you know, to, to beat the Chiefs, you just have to. The score at will and the other team that you know weirdly um is the ravens you know they've now won three games in a row um i think entering the season a lot of people thought they would be a you know a, a top afc team they had some issues offensively early on and then they had the covid situation that obviously set them back record wise and otherwise but they're now kind of rebounding and 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 i think they're a, a team to, to keep an eye on as well kevin great stuff as always love your work at espn.com thanks so much for taking the time with us we appreciate it Thanks for having me, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Kevin Seifert of ESPN.com. I was hoping that he would say the Ravens because I agree. The top three rushing teams in the league, Dan, and obviously to beat Kansas City, you have to keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. The Ravens, the Titans, and the Browns are the top three rushing teams in the league. Now, you're going to have to have a spectacular defensive day, too. But those are three teams that can run it. 
if for whatever reason Spags doesn't have a, a great plan to stop the run, and I think the Ravens would come up with the best plan to attack that defense of Kansas City. I like the, Pittsburgh against them. The, I, I wish Pittsburgh had their full complement of players. Losing Devin Bush and Bud Dupree hurts a lot. I know. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, could I could definitely see them. I, I can see Pittsburgh doing it, too. And Pittsburgh has a better offense than Tennessee or Cleveland, too. That's why I like them. And I love they can throw and they, they can't can, run the defense too. Yeah, the defense is good, but yep. it's Pittsburgh has to get back to running the game because they they just can't play games where they throw it forty five times and no. run it seventeen. No, because if you have a bad throwing day, to your point, it's in Mahomes' hand yeah. and he's chucking it all over the field, and you can't stay on the field with that. Right, you won't win. It's that simple. Coming up, we've got the fight for you on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Time for the fight. Randy has stepped out of the um, the booth, if you will, and we say good morning to Mike. Mike, good morning. Welcome to 101 ESPN. Good morning, Danny Mac. How are you? I'm doing great. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas, brother. Thank you. Have you finished up your Christmas shopping? I, I'm waiting on several package deliveries. In lieu of that, yes, I have. You know, that's that sounds like an excuse. There are no excuses on this show, okay? Yeah, okay. Get it done, baby. I'm ready. All right. All right. You ready to go? Here we go. Question number one. What team did Jason Isringhausen finish his Major League Baseball career with? What team? A, the Oakland A's. B, the Angels. C, Tampa Bay. I'm going to say the Angels. Question number two. Ohio State has won four Big Ten football champions uh, championships four straight who was the last big 10 team not named ohio state to win the big 10 championship was it a penn state b wisconsin c michigan state penn state the last time alabama won the college football championship was in 2018 who did they beat was it clemson ohio state or georgia georgia Question number four. In 2011, who did the Cardinals beat in the NLCS in six games? The Phillies, the Brewers, or the Dodgers? In 2011, who did the Cardinals beat in the NLCS in six games? The Phillies, Brewers, or Dodgers? That'd be the Brewers. Mike, very well done. Let's bring in Randy Carricker. What do you do for a living, Mike? I'm a pharmacist. Awesome. We're going to be busy. I like it. Yes, sir. Thanks for everything you're doing for all of us through these tough times. I appreciate that, Dan. Thank you. You bet. And I mean it. Randall, yes. say good morning to Mike. He's a pharmacist and thank him for what he's doing. All our pharmacists and front care uh, first uh, responders and health care workers and everybody that's helping us through this pandemic. Mike, we do appreciate what you're doing for everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking the time to join us this morning. We do appreciate it. You bet, Randy. Thank you. Okay. The fight. Here we go, Randall. Yes, sir. Uh, by the way, I'm going to turn this way. Okay. Tanner, you can vouch for me. I'm not giving Randy any eye contact or <laughs> anything. It. 
get yelled at too much on the text line. Okay, question one. What team did Jason Isringhausen finish his Major League Baseball career with? I believe he ended with the Angels. I'm going to go with the Angels. Question number two. Ohio State has won four straight Big Ten football championships. Who was the last Big Ten team not named Ohio State to win the Big Ten championship? Dan, I think I'm going to go with the... uh... I think we're going to go with the Penn State Nittany Lions. The last time Alabama won the college football championship was in 2018. Who did they beat? I believe they beat Georgia that year. In 2011, who did the Cardinals beat in the National League Championship Series in six games? That would have been the Milwaukee Brewers, Dan. My goodness. We have a tie. We have a tie between Mike and Randy. What team did Jason Isringhausen finish his career with? It was the Angels. The team that won the Big Ten championship in football prior to Ohio State winning four straight, that was Penn State. The last time Alabama won the college football championship was in 2018, and they beat the Georgia Bulldogs. That was that famous uh, OT win. I think Tua Mm -hmm. went deep there. In 2011, who did the Cardinals beat in the NLCS in six games? That was the Milwaukee Brewers. Now... We are off to the tiebreaker. Okay. <clears throat> How many rushing touchdowns did Steven Jackson have in his career with the St. Louis Rams? How many rushing touchdowns, rushing touchdowns okay. did Steven Jackson have in his career with the St. Louis Rams? I'm going to say, oh, God. Um, I'm going to say 68. 68 for Mike. And I said 65. 65. Yep. We got a winner. We have a winner and still champion, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. You know, Mike, I'm pulling for you. Because you're a pharmacist and you're helping us. I wanted you to take down Randy. I did, Randy. I wasn't pulling for you. I know. And I'm not. It, you had it. Look at you. Look, that smug look over there. Yep. Like, you, yeah, I got it. <laughs> hey, Mike, great job. The answer was 56. So you went with All 68. Right. Randy went with 65. Randy is closer. But you did a great job. Very well thanks done. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, Merry Christmas to you. And thanks for everything you're doing for us. Thank you. You All got right. it. Bye That's bye. Mike on 101 ESPN. Good guy. Good. Yes. And good we job to you, Randy. Uh, thank you very much. Do appreciate that. 56 rushing TDs. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get enough credit how good he was. If he would have played on a different team, if he would have been drafted by a different franchise, they a were good just, franchise. They were horrible. Yeah. He, could, he would have been a Hall of Famer. You think that far? Yeah. I, I think he would have been on the cusp of it. Um, I'm not sure he would have been in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, if I take a deep dive into it, I bet, he, I bet you're right. He played behind bad offensive lines. He is, let me uh, get it here. One second here. Rushing yards. Had 8,000-yard rushing seasons out of the nine with the Rams. The only one he didn't was his rookie year with the Rams. Yeah, pretty darn good. And at the moment, Dan, if we go to his career rushing yards total, counting numbers, he is 18th all-time in rushing yards. Fred Taylor is ahead of him. 
And then Thurman Thomas, Hall of Famer, Franco Harris, Hall of Famer, Marcus Allen, Hall of Famer, Ed James, Hall of Famer, Marshall, Hall of Famer, Jim Brown, Tony Dorsett, Eric Dickerson, Bettis, Tomlinson, Curtis Martin, Adrian Peterson, who will, Barry Sanders, Frank Gore, who will, Peyton and Emmett. So uh, Stephen and Fred Taylor both are borderline Hall of Famers. I think if Stephen winds up with a better team, he probably has more rushing yards than that and gets an opportunity to play in the playoffs. That's where you have to do the deep dive, don't you? If you're in that room and making the case for somebody, you got to say, hey, by the way, and he was a part of uh, the worst five-year run in the history of the Mm -hmm. NFL in wins and losses. And by the way, here's who was in front of him, Yep, meaning the offensive line. So if you do that deep dive, maybe he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. People behind him include John Riggins. He's 19th. Stephen is 18th. Riggins is in the Hall of Fame. And then Corey Dillon, who won't make it. O.J. Simpson, who's in. And it could be that Fred Taylor winds up being the guy with the most yards that's not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So are you telling me that he should be in the Hall of Fame? You're making a case right now that I'm listening. You go, well, wait a minute. Should he be in the Hall of Fame? I would have trouble, because I saw it happen, voting against him. If I'm in the room, I would have to vote for Steven Jackson because he his circumstances, I know that he is one of the best running backs in the history of the league. One of the 20 best running backs in the history of the league. Will he get consideration, though? Probably not. I think he would have had Bernie been in charge yeah. of doing the presentation. I, I think Howard Balzer does our presentation now, and I, that probably won't help. Okay. All right. Coming up next, what do we have, Randall? Uh, next up, we're going to talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. Hockey's coming back. Hockey is back. Let's do it. That's Kerb, next. Kerber's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When it's time for new flooring in your home, Real Wood provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk has great floors for every home. Visit our three area showrooms and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. On 101 ESPN, we head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Actually, are we on the Brown and Crouppen, or are we, are we on another special line here? The voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us as we get ready to resume hockey. Training camp set to start in just a couple of weeks, and the games will start on January 13th, and we're all excited about the Blues coming back. Kerbs, good morning. How you doing? Randy, Dan, I'm doing great. How are you guys today? Everything is terrific here. We're excited about the Blues coming back, and it'll be interesting to see and we saw this when they came back with the return to play last spring, but or summer, I guess it was. But the fact that they're going to have to get things up and running so quickly to start games again, they really are. And and one of the one of the things that I think that the St. Louis Blues learned and Craig Berube learned going into the return to play scenario back in August was and they they were very vocal about this afterwards like they wish they had more guys in town a little bit sooner like some of the other teams did and we've already seen that we've got 25 guys I think already back in town that have already been skating in a whole group groups of them together you know and and I believe actually some of them are going through testing not on an everyday basis but a pretty regular basis over at at Centene I think so uh, th- that being the case, they're already kind of gearing up that way. And I, I think if there was a lesson learned through that return to play situation back in August, 
it's how quickly they need to ramp up and how to ramp it up. I don't think they felt that they ramped up very well for August. I would expect a different scenario for this one. In terms of uh, the competition, it's kind of like old division play. First time all Canadian division since 1938. This is like the old Norris. You potentially could face uh, the Avalanche or Vegas or somebody if you're the Blues 15 times. I kind of like that in a four- to five-month period. What do you think? Listen, Dan, I, I love what the league has done with this. And, and I know some fans are upset that the Blues aren't in the Central Division. And, yes, it's the first time since 1970 that the Blues and the Blackhawks aren't in the same division. But, you know, when the Blues entered the league, they had L.A. in their division. They had it for the first three years. They were part of the that, that expansion group division that, that they had. I like what they've done here. They're trying to – look, we all know that the situation isn't perfect, okay? So we're still going to be dealing with – you know, the, the COVID flexibility that we need. We know it's unique. So you could either gripe, moan, and groan about it, or you can embrace the challenge and 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 have some fun with it. And I think the storylines, like the ones you were just talking about, an all-Canadian division, uh, the Blues and Vegas and Colorado, all in the same division, I, I think the storylines are absolutely fantastic. And if you're going to play a 56-game schedule, which is what they are looking to do, you're going to play each of the seven teams in your division eight times, four times at home, four times on the road. And and you're going to be playing a lot of those games. You're going to be playing in two-game sets unless the plan changes, right? So you'll go into Vegas, and you'll play two games. They'll come here, you'll play two games. It, there's a lot of fun to be had with this. And I actually think when you look at the breakdown of these divisions, this is a better division for St. Louis right now than the Central. Uh, I mean, it. People right now talk. They're, they're they're grumbling about the late game start time when you're out on the West Coast. So we have some of those in the regular season anyway, in a normal year. So I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But I like the fact that you're going to be playing with the big boys. Now it's going to be harder to advance in the playoffs because you will have divisional playoffs. But but you're playing a season head to head with Vegas and Colorado and Arizona's up and coming, and and you've got those California teams that are always difficult. Uh, to play and I think that that's going to lead to much sharper better hockey for this hockey team Curbs Jeremy Rutherford reporting at the Athletic that Ryan O'Reilly will be named the 23rd captain of the Blues with the official announcement perhaps coming this week no surprise there uh, that he'll reportedly be wearing the C I am intrigued though because the Blues also lost the leadership and the, the A's they won't have Tarasenko at the beginning. Steen is gone now. He's retired, essentially. I'll, I'll be interested to see what young players the Blues have rise up to BAs and, and take on those leadership roles. Yeah, and you know what, Randy? I, th I think what's also important to remember here is the way things have changed over the years is a lot of these teams in sports do that leadership committee kind of thing. So yes, you do have somebody with the C it is tradition, but it really is a, a group discussion that they have. So I would expect Colton Pareko to potentially have one. When Vladimir comes back, I would think they would get, uh, keep it with him. I would look to see and, uh, and, and have one on Braden Shen. Mm -hmm. I think there's a chance you could see Justin Falk have one as well. Uh, Schwartz is another guy. So they have plenty in that group. David, Perron, you know, and, and shame on me for doing this. We, we talk about this all the time, and I don't know why we don't talk more about David Perron. Great point, me know, either. And, and his experience and stuff, too. And, and listen, you can hear the leadership in David Perron in his post-game 
comments and things like that. So you've, you've definitely got to throw DP 57 in there as well. I, I think they're going to be set and they'll have the opportunity to move that around a little bit if they want to. In terms of the the home markets, what are they going to do with San Jose? What are they going to do with Vancouver? There's been some talk that uh, they would not be able to play in their home market. What are they going to do with those situations? Yeah, the, the difference, the challenge is, is uh, like in British Columbia, they don't want the other teams coming in to play is, is where their issue is there versus kind of what you've got in, in the San Jose area where their county has just said, you're not playing here. So those are things, Dan, that still have to be worked out. The National Hockey League is trying to figure that out. If in, they're keeping the Canadian divisions, and it looks and it sounds like they've made progress with the other provinces uh, in how that's going to work. So if if they have to start the season and Vancouver can't play in in Vancouver, well, then they may have to just go to another Canadian city and start the season there. And that's going to be the same thing for San Jose or for any other team where that scenario pops up. And and that's one of the challenges here. Is it fair? Well, no, but it's the reality we live in, and they'll have to deal with it. It doesn't make sense to do hub cities or bubbles because one or two teams live in an area where the government is dictating that scenario. I, I think it made sense to just to disrupt as few as possible and get things going as normal as possible, and, and I think that'll be their option. So if, if it happens in California, those teams may have to just join another city for a little while, play out of another city until things change, and, and people will deal with it. The uh, schedule will be turned out, I'm, I'm sure, later this week. Curbs, there will be no preseason games. Aside from the pandemic, which is the most obvious aspect to any roadblocks the NHL might run into, what do you think the biggest roadblock might be? What's the, what concerns you about derailing a part of this season? The start of the year, uh, the start of the season uh, for, for me is, is going to be a big question mark. If you're not going to have any preseason games in the two weeks that they're going to have camp, Craig Berube and his coaching staff, and we'll have Craig, by the way, joining us uh, live at noon today, Randy. Great. Craig, uh, Craig is going to have to ramp up the intensity and the competition in a big way because I think that schedule when it comes out could have the Blues in Colorado and the Blues in Vegas head-to-head in day one. Those two points in a 56-game season in day one are mammoth. They are huge head-to-head with those other top teams. So uh, the the start has got to be huge. The other aspect is because the American Hockey League isn't scheduled to start until February, and because you have to have the extra players, as Dan saw firsthand so much with the Cardinals last year due to COVID, they're going to have a taxi squad of about six or seven extra players. Because you're also going to have a smaller camp where you could have unlimited goalie and right around 30 in camp, there's going to be some other players that maybe you would have wanted to get a look at, kind of like the Blues did with Sammy Blay a couple years ago and that put Sammy on the map. That's not going to happen this year. So how this plays out with some of the younger players is another intriguing storyline to watch. Curbs, great stuff. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, guys, uh, have, a, have a great day. Have a great week, and uh, Merry Christmas, and Happy Holidays to everybody this week. And Merry Christmas to you and your family as well. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. Coming up, as we mentioned, Ryan O'Reilly will be named the captain, according to our friend Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. How important is O'Reilly to this team? We're going to hear what Craig Bruby had to say about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health Express Clinic at Walgreens. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information. 
It's 9.02, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Dan McLaughlin. I'm Randy Carricker, Dan in for Michelle, who's out until after Christmas. And Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic, has a story up at The Athletic right now that the Blues will name Ryan O'Reilly as their 23rd team captain. Craig Berube, the head coach of the Blues, Chief talks about how important O'Reilly is to the team. He's a huge part of our team. Um, we really focus on a team uh, team first mindset, and he leads that. I think, you know, he's a real good leader that way. He understands that uh, the team has to come first. Um, and it's, you know, in a role we ask of a player or, you know, just leadership uh, on and off the ice. A lot of things uh, play into it, but he's a very competitive player. So, you know, he's provided a real good leadership that way. And what about specifically O'Reilly to this edition of the Blues? Well, I think he just does whatever we ask of him. And he's a real, you know, solid team guy. He doesn't, you know, he never complains. He works hard. You never have to ask him to work harder or compete because he's always doing that. You know, and just his intelligence as a player, you know, to see how smart he is. And again, he's always in the right position, doing the right thing for the team. Can you imagine being a Sabres fan and watching Ooh. all this happen? I actually have. <laughs> I actually have because I watched Pronger do it. Yeah. And others that left here and won the cup other places. Yep. So not to say that he's a Pronger Hall of Famer, but you get my drift. Yeah. Watching other guys go and do it with other teams. So it's one of the great trades, though, in Blues history. There's no doubt. And now he becomes your captain. And I, I think he represents what you thought you weren't getting in Buffalo. Leadership, captain, yeah. great player, all those things that they were frustrated with that allowed him to come to St. Louis. I'll be intrigued where they go with the A's. I thought uh, it was an interesting conversation in point with David Perron. That would mm -hmm. be something I'd look at. I'd also dangle that carrot in front of Falk. I think if you want him to take it to another level, you say, look, you're going to get some of the ice time that maybe you didn't get the first year with the St. Louis Blues. We're going to make you more of the player that you were in Carolina, give you the ice time that you're accustomed to. And by the way, we want you to have more of a leadership role. Now, you know, all the stuff from 2019 is over, like the celebrations and the banner raising, and you felt like the outside. You're not. You're here. Mm -hmm. you're, you're one of the guys. You're, you should be one of the leaders. You're one of the highest paid players on our team. I also think it's a step of maturation for Pareko, too. Like, if he is the guy, Randy, that's that next generational player for the Blues defensively that steps into a bigger role and gets better and better and better, then I, th I look at him as getting an A, too. Yeah, and I think Pareko is one of those guys, when we talk about leadership, to, to be a leader, you need people to follow. And Colton has that potential to have to be a guy that the other players on the team will follow, his yeah. example. Uh, and he's going to play in a ton of different situations, too. You know he's going to play on the power play. The power play should be really good this year, I would think. Mm -hmm. Their special teams should be good with Krug. Um, but I, I just want to see guys. It, it's kind of you dangle the carrot, and it, there's a responsibility when, especially in that sport, man, you wear the C, you wear the A. There's a responsibility yep. to it. It's, it's not taken lightly. It's an important role on the team. Um, and I think that's something that, that it's important with young players, and that's why I would look towards Pareko having that A. I really do. I think it's important to do that. Dan, a couple of notes from the NFL from yesterday. If you were watching the Chiefs game late, you saw Clyde Edwards-Hilaire be helped from the field. He apparently has a high ankle sprain and is expected to miss the rest of the regular season, mm. which would be a couple of games. So good on them for signing Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. 
worked out pretty well, don't you think? Yeah. And he's getting more into the – have you noticed that? They're mm-hmm. using him more and more and more. Andy Reid does not get enough credit for how good he is. Do you agree with that? I do. He's – right like, now like, he's the best he coach in the Philly. league. Yeah. Yeah, five I mean, he was, NFC championship yeah, games. And now what he's done with Kansas City. I mean, look at the resume now in Kansas City with the Super Bowl, but even prior to the Super Bowl. And apparently behind the scenes, he was the one that really said, go get Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Knew how to, and then they said when he first got there, they didn't rush him and got him ready to go. And now all of a sudden they're winning and winning at a high level and, and probably the prohibitive favorite to win it again, I would think. And they used a number one overall pick. We were talking about this yesterday as we were watching the game. They used a number one overall pick on a guy like Eric Fisher, who right. was not very good early on. But they stuck with him, and he's a left tackle for a Super Bowl champion. Right. And even though he's not Orlando Pace, he's good enough for what they need and for the offense that they have. The other note today from the NFL this morning, the Panthers have fired their general manager, Marty Herney, over what they call philosophical differences. And so there will be multiple, in addition to the coaching openings, multiple general manager openings in the NFL this offseason. And I would think that with the new owner there, David Tepper, and the money that he has and wants to spend, that that is a chance to be a pretty good general manager's job. The other thing, too, that we should note, uh, Army does not get a bowl game. With all the different bowls that uh, teams are going to, Army is 9-2. and two. Uh, they had a victory over Air Force that secured them the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. They had an agreement to play uh, in the Independence Bowl against a Pac-12 opponent, but a surge of Pac-12 teams opted out of the bowl season. Other teams, according to Army's head coach, threatened to opt out if paired against Army, so they're left on the outside looking in. That's terrible. They're 9-2. and two. They should be playing somebody. Yeah. And, and there should have been an understanding that this could happen. Find an opponent. Those kids should be playing. They're if they lo- want to play, they should be playing. They're looking for a team to play. And in this bowl season, anybody can play. Yes. And You're telling me there's not a well, team out there that can play them? Well, and especially for that group of young men. That's what right? I mean. If, if, if nobody wants to play Army in the postseason, a 9-2 and two Army team, if we can't find... A game, a stadium, and an opponent for them. Shame on us as college football, as sports, heck, as a country, if, well, that's if we why can't find them. This thing is a mess. Army secured an agreement to play in the Independence Bowl. Mm-hmm. It was in 20, 22, and 24 as long as it was eligible. Well, they're eligible, the 9 and 2. And because of what's happened with COVID-19, the Pac-12 teams are bowing out. But there's got to be the, an adjustment. The game, the game itself was canceled right correct correct but also a lot of because the, the pac-12 teams are saying we're, we're not going to play yeah so find another opponent play the game figure it out it's not that hard but they don't do it i don't understand that i, I think that's wrong i bet you could find an opponent for them but if you give us 10 minutes we could find an opponent for them yeah i'm looking at uh, some of the quotes here he's i just found it online he's Less than yeah. pleased, Randall. Well, he, he, he should be, be pleased. Right. Yeah. So, uh, that's just another aspect to it. And by the way, Missouri happy about playing in the Music City Bowl. And they had options for other bowls, but they thought that the location and the timing, the ability to give their players both Christmas and New Year's off 
was the best thing for Mizzou. And so that's why they're playing in the Music City Bowl. And there will be some tickets available for Mizzou fans to go down to Nashville and watch that game. Cincinnati undefeated. They're number eight. Coastal Carolina undefeated, 11-0. They never even broke into the top ten. And so your college football playoff are the teams that you would expect. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. So that's your top four teams Mm -hmm. that will play for the national title. And then the national title game will be Alabama against Clemson. That's correct. On January 11th, and you'll hear it here, right, here on uh, 101 ESPN. Very good promo. Thank you. Clip that off and just start putting it on the uh, commercial breaks. By the way, we do have Monday Night Football tonight. Steelers and Bengals here on 101 ESPN. So you want to be tuned into that, baby. Oh, yeah. Steelers and Bengals. Mm -hmm. Get the popcorn popping. Get Grandma right around the transistor. And come on, Granny. Ben is Big Ben slinging it. Coming up, we want to hear from you on the text line, 65780. What baseball rule changes did you like? What didn't you like this past season? I like this one. What did Mike Schilt think? We'll have that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Yes. We, we need just one bad contract. Yeah, we do. Okay, that's it. Go ahead. You mentioned Army at 9-2. and two, Just one. Shut out of uh, yeah. bowl games. South Carolina 2-8, and eight, Kentucky 4-6, and six, Arkansas 3-7, and seven, Tennessee 3-6, and six, Mississippi State 2-7, and seven, all with bowl Sign games. them up. Somebody. They, I don't care. Those guys all have, those teams know, already they, have bowl games. But we can find somebody. I mean, there's got to yeah. be somebody that wants to play another game. Illinois will play them. Somebody. ILL. Anybody. You're telling me there's somebody in the country of all these teams that won't play a bowl game if they get a chance to play on national TV? Yeah, those teams are playing. Yeah. And they're ter- I mean, they, they've had terrible records. Dan, in 2019, what was your favorite rules change in Major League Baseball? I, I think I really liked the uh, extra innings. I did. Uh, um, I, I'd say, though, tied for first, since we're baseball here, the seven-inning doubleheaders uh, I enjoyed. I think that was good for fans. It obviously was necessary with – protecting players and shortened seasons and you know that kind of thing so that's obvious but I think from a fan's perspective generally speaking from the ones I spoke to I think the seven inning double headers were really good um, because there was a sense that the first pinch pitch meant something mm-hmm. there just seemed, seemed to be something on the line like you got to the fourth inning and you were thinking about how you're gonna win this game fourth inning of a nine inning game I'm not thinking like right. that yeah I'm thinking differently Me too um, so I like that. Uh, I like that the games, you know, were supposed to be, some were, about two and a half hours. Um, I did not like the three batter minimum. I, I think that takes away from some of the strategy of the game, which I like mixing and matching. And if it truly was going to speed up the game, it didn't work because the games are still like three right. hours and seven minutes this year. So it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So now you're you're costing yourself the strategy of the game. I don't I don't think that's productive cardinal manager mike schill was asked his favorite rules change on his friday zoom call with reporters i'll start with what i like i um i found i like the extra inning rule better than i thought i was going to and the reason i liked it was because it it i felt like it, it rewards execution and i like the strategy behind it on both sides of the baseball and it, it immediately says you have to do x y and z and it puts 
puts the onus and, and it and I like the idea that it's it's impactful. You don't execute, you don't get rewarded, you don't win. And I love that component of our game. You know, big picture, our game's gotten away from execution. It's still a part of it, don't get me wrong. And that's a separate conversation. But I like the idea that you have to think about a bunt defense. You have to think about bunting, getting behind the runner, whether you're going to intentionally walk somebody or not, home versus road, where you're at in the lineup, what the bullpens look like. I, I just think it's uh, – I thought it worked pretty well. I was surprised more teams didn't bunt to start did. off. Nobody did. No. So what? as I was making a little note here, extra innings, awards, execution. How many people can execute? That's the thing. And how many how many of these guys bunt? Because they're they're not bunting to get to the major leagues anymore. They're they're not hitting behind runners. You're not bunting. You're not seeing a lot of hit and runs. You're not seeing a lot of movement on the bases. It's a station to station game, sitting back waiting for a home run. So now we're asking these players to do something they're not used to doing. Right. Which and is bunting. Something that used to be simple in handling the bat and hitting the ball to the right side. Right. Can't do it. A lot of guys don't do it. No, they they don't give themselves up. Swing for the fences. Right. And I, I think they would do it if they knew how to do it, but how many guys really do it? Like, you're not going to go to the major leagues because you hit behind a guy. No. And and when you go to these showcases of young players, like the amateur players, why do they get signed? Power, launch angle, speed. Exactly. So are you learning how to play the game? Like, how the game, how you and I watch the game? Whitey ball or, or how we played it as a kid, hitting behind, giving yourself up, bunting. That's just not done in today's game. And so it kind of exposed what was wrong or what I think is wrong right now in the game because we don't see enough action. Yeah, there's not many fundamentals that are being practiced no. by Major League Baseball players. Dan mentioned the seven-inning doubleheader, and Mike Schultz talked about those. I thought, especially applicable to our club, the seven-inning doubleheader, I thought that made sense, you know, especially with the number of the you – know, you know, that we played, I don't, I didn't, I thought that was a fair game. I didn't get compromised the integrity of the game. Uh, and I'm, I'm a, like most people on this call, I, I care about our game and want to preserve the history, um, but not close minded to changing it um, for the right reason. Uh, so I thought that was a benefit. And this is a notable text from the three, one, four. If seven inning doubleheaders are equal for all teams. Sure. The Cardinals played a lot less innings than other teams mm-hmm. because of all the doubleheaders. Yeah. I, I think it was necessary. As Mike said, I wonder if it's going to be necessary moving forward this year. So let's just throw it out there. Um, if games are delayed, if the season is delayed and the players are saying, I want to get my 162 so I get the full pay, one of the ways to do it is to play seven-inning doubleheaders, get more yeah. games in. I, I got to wonder if that's going to be something that happens moving forward. I don't think if we had a quote-unquote normal season we would have that, Randy, because you're talking about – uh, people at the ballpark, so spending money, mm-hmm. and commercial breaks. You know, I mean, more time means more money. I, I just don't think they would do that. But to get games in, if it's out of necessity, I think they would. I didn't think I'd like the DH, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. I like the DH. I really? liked it. I, I actually did. Uh, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was good. I believe over the course of 162 game seasons, you're going to have enough games where you're going to be sitting there wondering whether or not this is a spot to pinch hit or do you leave a pitcher that's pitching well in there? One thing about the DH that has changed is that normally we get to six innings and that's good for a pitcher. Right. We don't have to worry about pinch hitting for him because he he's not going out there for the seventh. How, you know, how many times this year, though, did you say, well, don't even worry about it. He's going yeah. back out there because you don't have the DH. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, it doesn't, his spot's not coming up, so throw him back out there. Right. That part of it, the flip side of it, too. Yeah, but there's just not many pitchers capable of doing that. No. Wainwright can, Flaherty under normal circumstances can. But how often do you send a guy out for the seventh? Not often. I mean, there's the occasional time, and I guess that's eye test thing that you look at, like, Miles Michaelis is rolling. Mm -hmm. You say, oh, keep him going. Carlos Martinez rolling, keep him going. You know, don't. Or where your bullpen is, too. If your bullpen's taxed, maybe it's a chance to give a couple of guys a night off and now you buy it, you know, you buy a game or two or whatever the case may be. But I thought generally speaking, the rules are okay. I don't, I just don't like the three batter minimum. If it's not going to speed up the game, what's the point? I think there's somebody that agrees with you. You know, if I get to be commissioner of the day and make my rules, I I didn't love the three batter minimum. Hmm. I, I just didn't feel like it was overly impactful for us during the regular season, but I can tell you, and look, you know, those are the rules, but I can tell you um, in the playoffs, there was a, there was a, crucial time where historically you go a different route um, in our second game against San Diego and who knows how it turns out Tim but I know that I'm sitting there at a crux of a moment couple moments that you do things probably differently and you know you're for lack of a better term feeling stuck with having to ride out certain certain make it go a certain way Um, but then again there's strategy to that too and you know there's a part of managing that as well and the reality is everybody had to deal with it and I felt like we did it pretty well overall but it wasn't one of my one of my favorite changes to the game and I don't think it shortened the game either you know so um, potentially it did but the game links were longer this year than they've almost ever been interesting um yeah I mean that's kind of what I was saying mm-hmm. I I think so for instance I remember a game early in the season against the Cubs and Tyler Webb came in by the way Tyler Webb had an, an okay year mm-hmm. he just had a rough start but remember, David Bodie came in and pinch hit for the Cubs. And on its surface, you would say, there's no way that you want Tyler Webb in this spot to face Bodie. And Bodie hits a bomb. Cardinals lose the game late, and people are going nuts. I knew why he did it. He was trying to protect arms because guys weren't built up in the bullpen, he, and he was stuck in that regard, but he was also stuck in the three-batter minimum. Right. There was no other way to do it. So that's part of it why I don't like it. That I, I just don't think that's good for the game. And I was... a. Uh, and am a big advocate of the loogie. I think there are instances where you have one left-handed hitter coming up and you want to get that yeah. guy out. Well, Randy Cho would agree. Right. Randy Cho is out of the league because of it. You know, there, there are well, guys... That that, and going a whole season without getting anybody out. Well, Randy, that, that's, that's separate. <laughs> the stats are separate. Didn't he How, set a record? We don't need to talk about that. The Randy Cho-type pitcher is maybe better yeah. set. It better said in that regard in how we set the stage with this. Um, but, yes, Randy had a, a very difficult season that final year. It wasn't a great one on lefty-lefty matchups. And, by the way, his first two years were pretty darn good. That yeah. contract, the three-year contract overall was was okay. Uh, yeah, it worked. But you didn't want him to face a right-hander. I know that. No. That wasn't going to that wasn't gonna fly in today's that. day and age of baseball. No. No. One thing that I would like to see, going back to the seven-inning doubleheaders, if we're going to have expanded playoffs and we want to cut a week off the regular season and start the playoffs earlier, just have, and somebody texted it in, have seven doubleheaders or eight doubleheaders during the course of the season on Sundays. The best thing to do if, how many teams are in the Cardinals division right now? Five? So you have doubleheaders against, right? Am I right? Yeah. Double, so you have a home and road doubleheader against each of your division teams on a Sunday. 
That well, cuts eight dates off your schedule, but you maintain the number of games. I wonder in a regular season, like a normal season, if you would do that, if the players would push to do that to get more days off, too. Yeah. If they would feel could, comfortable doing yeah. it that way, too. Well, you could have the same number of days off if right. you were going to do it, and maybe expand the number of days off if you wanted to add a couple more doubleheaders. You could. I liked it. I thought it was good. I think you'd have to go for owners. You'd probably want day-nighters. Spend yeah. a lot of time at the you ballpark. Yeah. But... You know, get the first gate in, get him out. Second gate in, comes in. I, you know, it's not ideal, but it's something to think about. Coming up, we are closing in on the end of the decade. And Dan and I are going to start taking a look back at this decade with 2011 next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health Express Clinic at Walgreens. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information. It's 9.02, your time check, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, and officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Dan McLaughlin. I'm Randy Carricker, Dan in for Michelle, who's out until after Christmas. And Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from The Athletic, has a story up at The Athletic right now that the Blues will name Ryan O'Reilly as their 23rd team captain. Craig Berube, the head coach of the Blues, Chief talks about how important O'Reilly is to the team. He's a huge part of our team. Um, we really focus on a team uh, team first mindset, and he leads that. I think, you know, he's a real good leader that way. He understands that uh, the team has to come first. Um, and it's, you know, in a role we ask of a player or, you know, just leadership uh, on and off the ice. A lot of things uh, play into it, but he's a very competitive player. So, you know, he's provided a real good leadership that way. And what about specifically O'Reilly to this edition of the Blues? Well, I think he just does whatever we ask of him, and he's a real, you know, solid team guy. He doesn't, you know, he never complains. He works hard. You never have to ask him to work harder or compete because he's always doing that. You know, and just his intelligence as a player, you know, to see how smart he is. And, again, he's always in the right position, doing the right thing for the team. Can you imagine being a Sabres fan and watching all this happen? I actually have. (laughs) I actually have because I watched Pronger do it. Yeah. And others that left here and won the Cup other places. Yep. So not to say that he's a Pronger Hall of Famer, but you get my drift. Yeah. Watching other guys go and do it with other teams. So it's one of the great trades, though, in Blues history. There's no doubt. And now he becomes your captain. And I, I, I think he represents what you thought you weren't getting in Buffalo leadership captain great player all those things that they were frustrated with that allowed him to come to st louis i'll be intrigued where they go with the a's i thought uh, it was an interesting conversation in point with david perron that would Mm -hmm. be something i'd look at i'd also dangle that carrot in front of falk i I think if you want him to take it to another level you say look you're going to get some of the ice time that maybe you didn't get the first year with the St. Louis Blues. We're going to make you more of the player that you were in Carolina, give you the ice time that you're accustomed to. And by the way, we want you to have more of a leadership role. Now, you know, all the stuff from 2019 is over, like the celebrations and the banner raising, and you felt like the outside. You're not. You're here. Mm-hmm. You're you're one of the guys. You're, you should be one of the leaders. You're one of the highest paid players on our team. I also think it's a step of maturation for Pareko, too. 
Like if he is the guy, Randy, that's that next generational player for the Blues defensively that steps into a bigger role and gets better and better and better, then I, th- I, I look at him as getting an A too. Yeah, and I think Pareko is one of those guys when we talk about leadership, to, to be a leader, you need people to follow. And Colton has that potential to have to be a guy that the other players on the team will follow, his yeah. example. Uh, and he's going to play in a ton of different situations, too. You know he's going to play on the power play. The power play should be really good this year, I would think. Mm-hmm. So their special team should be good with Krug. Um, but I, I just want to see guys. It, it's kind of you dangle the carrot, and it, there's a responsibility when, especially in that sport, man, you wear the C, you wear the A. There's a responsibility yep. to it. It's it's not taken lightly. It's an important role on the team. Um, and I think that's something that, that it's important with young players, and that's why I would look towards Pareko having that A. I really do. I think it's important to do that. Dan, a couple of notes from the NFL from yesterday. If you were watching the Chiefs game late, you saw Clyde Edwards-Hilaire be helped from the field. He apparently has a high ankle sprain and is expected to miss the rest of the regular season, Mm. which would be a couple of games. So good on them for signing Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, worked out pretty well, don't you think? Yeah. And he's getting more into the – have you noticed that? They're Mm -hmm. using him more and more and more. Andy Reid does not get enough credit for how good he is. Do you agree with that? I do. He's – right now he's the best coach in the league. Yeah. Yeah, five NFC championship games. And now what he's done with Kansas City. I mean, look at the resume now in Kansas City with the Super Bowl, but even prior to the Super Bowl. And apparently behind the scenes, he was the one that really said, go get Mahomes. Mm -hmm. And then they said when he first got there, they didn't rush him and got him ready to go. And now all of a sudden they're winning and winning at a high level and, and probably the prohibitive favorite to win it again, I would think. And they used the number one overall pick. We were talking about this yesterday as we were watching the game. They used a number one overall pick on a guy like Eric Fisher, who was not very good early on. But they stuck with him, and he's a left tackle for a Super Bowl champion. Right. And even though he's not Orlando Pace, he's good enough for what they need and for the offense that they have. The other note today from the NFL this morning, the Panthers have fired their general manager, Marty Herney, over what they call philosophical differences. And so there will be multiple, in addition to the coaching openings, multiple general manager openings in the NFL this offseason. And I would think that with the new owner there, David Tepper, and the money that he has and wants to spend, that that is a chance to be a pretty good general manager's job. The other thing, too, that we should note, uh, Army does not get a bowl game. With all the different bowls that uh, teams are going to, Army is 9-2. and two. Uh, They had a victory over Air Force that secured them the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. They had an agreement to play uh, in the Independence Bowl against a Pac-12 opponent, but a surge of Pac-12 teams opted out of the bowl season. Other teams, according to Army's head coach, threatened to opt out if paired against Army, so they're left on the outside looking in. That's terrible. They're 9-2. and two. They should be playing somebody. Yeah. And, and there should have been an understanding that this could happen. Find an opponent. Those kids should be playing. They're if they lo- want to play, they should be playing. They're looking for a team to play. And in this bowl season, anybody can play. Yes. And You're es- telling me there's not a well, team out there that can play them? Well, and especially for that group of young men. That's what right? I mean. If, if, if nobody wants to play Army in the postseason, a 9-2 and two Army team, if we can't find... A, a game, a stadium, and an opponent for them. Shame on us as college football, as sports 
Heck, as a country, if, well, that's if we why can't find that. This thing is a mess. Army secured an agreement to play in the Independence Bowl. Mm-hmm. It was in 20, 22, and 24 as long as it was eligible. Well, they're eligible, the 9 and 2. And because of what's happened with COVID-19, the Pac-12 teams are bowing out. But there's got to be the, an the adjustment. Game, the game itself was canceled, right? Correct? Correct. But also a lot of because the, the Pac-12 teams are saying we're, we're not going to play. Yeah. So find another opponent. Play the game. Figure it out. It's not that hard. But they don't do it. I don't understand that. I, I think that's wrong. I bet you could find an opponent for them. I'll bet if you give us 10 minutes, we could find an opponent for them. Yeah. I'm looking at uh, some of the quotes here. He's, I just found it online. He's less than yeah. pleased, Randall. Well, he, he, should, he should be, be. pleased. Right? Yeah. So, uh, that's just another aspect to it. And by the way, Missouri... Happy about playing in the Music City Bowl. And they had options for other bowls, but they thought that the location and the timing, the ability to give their players both Christmas and New Year's off was the best thing for Mizzou. And so that's why they're playing in the Music City Bowl. And there will be some tickets available for Mizzou fans to go down to Nashville and watch that game. Cincinnati undefeated. They're number eight. Coastal Carolina undefeated, 11-0. They never even broke into the top ten. And so your college football playoff are the teams that you would expect. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. So that's your top four teams Mm -hmm. that will play for the national title. And then the national title game will be Alabama against Clemson. That's correct. On January 11th, and you'll hear it here, right, here on uh, 101 ESPN. Very good promo. Thank you. Clip that off and just start putting it on the uh, commercial breaks. By the way, we do have Monday Night Football tonight. Steelers and Bengals here on 101 ESPN. So you want to be tuned into that, baby. Oh, yeah. Steelers and Bengals. Mm -hmm. Get the popcorn popping. Get Grandma right around the transistor. And come on, Granny. Ben is Big Ben slinging it. Coming up, we want to hear from you on the text line, 65780. What baseball rule changes did you like? What didn't you like this past season? I like this one. What did Mike Schilt think? We'll have that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. No, yes. We, we need just one bad contract. Yeah, we do. Okay, that's it. Go ahead. You mentioned Army at 9-2. and two, Just one. Shut out of uh, yeah. bowl games. South Carolina 2-8, and eight, Kentucky 4-6, and six, Arkansas 3-7, and seven, Tennessee 3-6, and six, Mississippi State 2-7, and seven, all with bowl Sign games. them up. Somebody. But I they, don't care. Those guys all have, those I know they, have bowl games. But we can find somebody. I mean, there's yeah. got to be somebody that wants to play another game. Illinois will play them. Somebody. ILO. Anybody. You're telling me there's somebody in the country of all these teams that won't play a bowl game if they get a chance to play on national TV? I mean, those teams are playing. Yeah. And they're ter- I mean, they, they've had terrible records. Dan, in 2019, what was your favorite rules change in Major League Baseball? I, I think I really liked the uh, extra innings. I did. Uh, um, I, I'd say, though, tied for first, since we're baseball here, the seven-inning doubleheaders uh, I enjoyed. I think that was good for fans. It obviously was necessary with protecting players and shortened seasons and you know that kind of thing so that's obvious but i think from a fan's perspective generally speaking from the ones i spoke to i think the seven inning double headers were really good I, um 
because there was a sense that the first pinch pitch meant something. Mm-hmm. There just seemed, seemed to be something on the line. Like you got to the fourth inning and you were thinking about how you're going to win this game. Fourth inning of a nine inning game, I'm not thinking like right. that. Yeah, I'm thinking differently. Me too. Um, so I like that. Uh, I like that the games, you know, were supposed to be some were about two and a half hours. Um, I did not like the three batter minimum. I think that takes away from some of the strategy of the game, which I like mixing and matching. And if it truly was going to speed up the game, it didn't work because the games are still like three right. hours and seven minutes this year. So it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So now you're you're costing yourself the strategy of the game. I don't I don't think that's productive. Cardinal manager Mike Schilt was asked his favorite rules change on his Friday Zoom call with reporters. I'll start with what I like. I um. I found I liked the extra inning rule better than I thought I was going to. And the reason I liked it was because it, it, I felt like it, it rewards execution. And I liked the strategy behind it on both sides of the baseball. And it, it immediately says you have to do X, Y, and Z. And it puts, puts the onus. And, and, it, and I like the idea that it's, it's impactful. You don't execute. You don't get rewarded. You don't win. And I love that component of our game. You know, big picture, our game's gotten away from execution it's still a part of it. Don't get me wrong. And that's a separate conversation, but I like the idea that you have to think about a bunt defense. You have to think about bunting, getting behind the runner, whether you're going to intentionally walk somebody or not home versus road, where you're at in the lineup, what the bullpens look like. I I just think it's, uh, I thought it worked pretty well. I was surprised more teams didn't bunt to start off. Nobody did. No. So what? As I was making a little note here, extra innings awards execution. How many people can execute? That's the thing. And how many? How many of these guys bunt? Because they're they're not bunting to get to the major leagues anymore. They're they're not hitting behind runners. You're not bunting. You're not seeing a lot of hit and runs. You're not seeing a lot of movement on the bases. It's a station to station game, sitting back waiting for a home run. So now we're asking these players to do something they're not used to doing. Right. Which and is bunting something. That used to be simple in handling the bat and hitting the ball to the right side, right? Can't do it. A lot of guys don't do it. No, they they just don't give themselves up. Swing for the fences. Right. And I, I think they would do it if they knew how to do it, but how many guys really do it? Like, you're not going to go to the major leagues because you hit behind a guy. No. And and when you go to the showcases of young players, like the amateur players, why do they get signed? Power, launch angle, speed. Exactly. So are you learning how to play the game? Like how the game, how you and I watched the game, whitey ball, or, or how we played it as a kid, hitting behind, giving yourself up, bunting. That's just not done in today's game. And so it kind of exposed what was wrong or what I think is wrong right now in the game because we don't see enough action. Yeah, there's not many fundamentals that are being practiced no. by Major League Baseball players. Dan mentioned the seven-inning doubleheader, and Mike Schultz talked about those. I thought, especially applicable to our club, the seven-inning doubleheader, I thought that made sense, you know, especially with the number of the, of, you know, that we played. I don't, I didn't, I thought that was a fair game. I didn't get compromised the integrity of the game. Uh, and I'm, I'm a, like most people on this call, I, I care about our game and want to preserve the history, um, but not close minded to changing it um, for the right reason. Uh, so I thought that was a benefit. And this is a notable text from the 314. If seven inning doubleheaders are equal for all teams, sure. The Cardinals played a lot less innings than other teams mm-hmm. because of all the doubleheaders. Yeah, I, I think it was necessary, as Mike said. I wonder if it's going to be necessary moving forward this year. So let's just 
throw it out there. Um, if games are delayed, if the season is delayed, and the players are saying, I want to get my 162 so I get the full pay, one of the ways to do it is to play seven-inning doubleheaders, get more yeah. games in. I, I got to wonder if that's going to be something that happens moving forward. I don't think if we had a quote-unquote normal season, we would have that, Randy, because you're talking about uh, people at the ballparks are spending money mm -hmm. and commercial breaks. You know, I mean, more time means more money. I, I just don't think they would do that. But to get games in, if it's out of necessity, I think they would. I didn't think I'd like the DH, and I can't believe I'm going to say this. I like the DH. Really? I liked it. I, I actually did. Uh, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was good. I believe over the course of 162 game seasons, you're going to have enough games where you're going to be sitting there wondering whether or not they, this is a spot to pinch hit, or do you leave a pitcher that's pitching well in there? One thing about the DH that has changed is that normally we get to six innings, and that's good for a pitcher. Right. We don't have to worry about pinch hitting for him because he he's not going out there for the seventh. How, you know, how many times this year, though, did you say, well, don't even worry about it. He's going yeah. back out there because you don't have the DH. Yeah. You know, I mean, it doesn't. his spot's not coming up, so throw him back out there. Right. That part of it, the flip side of it, too. Yeah, but there's just not many pitchers capable of doing that. No. Wainwright can. Flaherty, under normal circumstances, can. But how often do you send a guy out for the seventh? Not often. I mean, there's a, the occasional time, and I guess that's eye test thing that you look at, like, Miles Michaelis is rolling. Mm -hmm. You say, oh, keep him going. Carlos Martinez rolling. Keep him going. You know, don't yeah. – or where your bullpen is, too. If your bullpen's taxed, maybe it's a chance to give a couple of guys a night off, and now you buy, a, you know, you buy a game or two or whatever the case may be. But – I thought, generally speaking, the rules are okay. I don't. I just don't like the three batter minimum. If it's not going to speed up the game, what's the point? I think there's somebody that agrees with you. You know, if I get to be commissioner of the day and make my rules, I, I didn't love the three batter minimum. Hmm. I, I just didn't feel like it was overly impactful for us during the regular season. But I can tell you, and look, you know, those are the rules. But I can tell you, um, in the playoffs, there was a there was a crucial time where historically you go a different route um, in our second game against San Diego. And who knows how it turns out, Tim, but I know that I'm sitting there at a crux of a moment, couple moments that you do things probably differently. And you know you're, for lack of a better term, feeling stuck with having to ride out certain, certain, make it go a certain way. Um, but then again, there's strategy to that too. And, you know, there's a part of managing that as well. And the reality is everybody had to deal with it. And I felt like we did it pretty well overall, but it wasn't one of my one of my favorite changes to the game and I don't think it's shortened the game either you know so um, potentially it did but the game links were longer this year than they've almost ever been interesting um, yeah I mean that's kind of what I was saying mm -hmm. I, I think so for instance I remember a game early in the season against the Cubs and Tyler Webb came in by the way Tyler Webb had an, an okay year mm -hmm. he just had a rough start but remember David Bodie came in and pinch hit for the Cubs and on its surface, you would say there's no way that you want Tyler Webb in this spot to face Bodie. And Bodie hits a bomb. Cardinals lose the game late, and people are going nuts. I knew why he did it. He was trying to protect arms because guys weren't built up in the bullpen, he, and he was stuck in that regard, but he was also stuck in the three-batter minimum. Right. There was no other way to do it. So that's part of it why I don't like it. That I, I just don't think that's good for the game. And I was – and am a big advocate of the loogie. I think there are instances where you have one left-handed hitter coming up and you want to get yeah. that guy out. Well, Randy Choate would agree. Right. Randy Choate is out of the league because of it.
You know, there there are well, guys that and going a whole season without getting anybody out. With Randy, that that's that's separate. <laughs> the stats are separate. Didn't he How, set a record? We don't need to talk about that. The Randy Choate type pitcher is maybe better yeah. set. It better said in that regard in how we set the stage with this. Um, but, yes, Randy had a, a very difficult season that final year. It wasn't a great one on lefty-lefty matchups. And, by the way, his first two years were pretty darn good. That yeah. contract, the three-year contract overall was was okay. Uh, yeah, it worked. But you didn't want him to face a right-hander. I know that. No. That wasn't going to fly in today's that. day and age of baseball. No. No. One thing that I would like to see, going back to the seven-inning doubleheaders, if we're going to have expanded playoffs and we want to cut a week off the regular season and start the playoffs earlier, just have, and somebody texted it in, have seven doubleheaders or eight doubleheaders That's the way you do it. during the course of the season on Sundays. The best thing to do, if how many teams are in the Cardinals division right now? Five? So you have doubleheaders against, right? Am I right? Yeah. Double, so you have a home and road doubleheader against each of your division teams on a Sunday. That well, cuts eight dates off your schedule, but you maintain the number of games. I wonder in a regular season, like a normal season, if you would do that, if the players would push to do that to get more days off, too. Yeah. If they would feel could, comfortable doing yeah. it that way, too. Well, you could have the same number of days off if right. you were going to do it and maybe expand the number of days off if you wanted to add a couple more doubleheaders. You could. I liked it. I thought it was good. I think you'd have to go for owners. You probably want day-nighters spend yeah. a lot of time at the you ballpark yeah but you know get the first gate in get them out second gate in comes in I, you know it's not ideal but it's something to think about coming up we are closing in on the end of the decade and dan and i are going to start taking a look back at this decade with 2011 next on 101 espn we're right back to the character and smallman podcast on 101 espn <laughs> As we head down the stretch of this decade, the 2010s, we'll take a look back at every year from the decade, every day, for the rest of 2020. And, Dan, we start with 2011. Pretty good year. 2011 was a great year. The Cardinals won the World Series, and perhaps the most memorable game in St. Louis Cardinals baseball history occurred. It was Game 6 of the World Series. The Cardinals were down. We thought they were going to lose the World Series to the Rangers until David Free stepped to the plate with a couple of runners aboard in the ninth inning. Into right, well hit. Back at the wall. It's off the wall. One run scores. Here comes Berkman. Freeze has tied it. 7-7. Unbelievable. But Josh Hamilton ruined it by hitting a home run in the 10th. But the Cardinals came back in the bottom of the 10th with a couple of runs. It was a tie game heading into the 11th. Breeze hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. And to think that David Freeze was almost taken out of the lineup by Tony La Russa on his way down to the ballpark against the Phillies. Roy Oswalt was on the mound and Freeze was not going to play and they had figured a little different stride in his swing getting his front foot down he said no 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 go with David Freeze. Mark McGuire did say that and Freeze knew that he was close 
and all bets are off and history was changed. Hit a home run that game, became the NLCS MVP, World Series MVP, and a hometown hero, and history changed because of David Freeze. And amazing, he wins game six with that home run. And game seven is kind of anticlimactic, kind of a footnote, but the Cardinals did win the World Series. In the air to left, well hit. Back is Craig. What a team. What a ride. The Cardinals are world champs in 2011. That's the last World Series the Cardinals have won. Been close. Probably should have been to some others with Mm -hmm. the wave of And I'm sure we'll talk about that as the week goes on. But with the wave of pitching that they had coming, Carlos Martinez, Trevor Rosenthal, and some others. But uh, cast of characters on that team was awfully good. Yachty, Albert, Berkman, list goes on and on. You had the Memphis Mafia up with that team. And really, when I think of 2011, Randy, Tony La Russa was ahead of what most people are trying to do now. Mm -hmm. Remember how good the bullpen was? And a big trade in that year was Colby Rasmus to get Zibchinski and Dotel. And Tony was mixing and matching, and starters weren't going very deep in that postseason run. And those bullpen guys were huge in that stretch run and the and the World Series run of the Cardinals. Tony changed the way baseball is managing the postseason in 2011, and then he retired. I think it'll be uh, complicated. I mean, uh, I mean, anytime I think about the 2011 team, I'm going to feel happy. I guess it's a little scary to go out there and not have something more definite planned. I just have reassured our family that uh, I'm not going to be sitting around getting in their way on a daily basis. So I'll find something to do. But I say it's, uh, I mean, I, that part of, I'm just being honest with myself, that, that uncertainty about what's ahead is, is uh, you know, it's got me turned on. We'll, we'll see where it goes. But I just, uh, that's how I started. You know, the, the good fortune of, of my managerial career is cannot be denied and i've never ever taken it for granted you just be thankful for that and the support i've gotten and and get ready to do something else and because of what i just said before with the wave of pitching the cardinals had coming in 12 and 13 if he would have known how good it was and i've talked to him about it he said he knew it was good he didn't know it was that good i'm not sure he walks away randy I'm not mm. sure he would have done it. I, I think he would have stayed. And and probably was the right time, though. You go out on top. It was a storybook ending until you take the White Sox yeah. job. But uh, at that point in time, it was a storybook ending here in St. Louis. And obviously subsequently was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. In December of 2011, Albert Pujols, a free agent, joined Tony La Russa in departing the Cardinals. He signed a 10-year contract worth $240 million with the Angels. Obviously, it's a really exciting day for the Angels organization. Um, I want to thank Mr. Moreno and his family for uh, giving me the opportunity and welcoming me into the Angels family. I mean, it's... uh, it's an amazing opportunity. Uh, I want to thank Jerry, John, for uh, obviously the hard work uh, that they put in to make this happen. So thank you so much. Um, to my teammates, my new teammates, uh, thank you for the test message. Um, I'm looking forward uh, for spring training, spending time with the uh, Tory and uh, Jeff, I mean Weaver, uh, Dan. Uh, sorry. <laughs> And uh, I'm really excited. Uh, and to you guys, the fans, obviously, uh, you know, the last 24 hours, uh, you know, it's been uh, awesome. You know, you guys welcomed me. 
and, and my family, and uh, we're just really excited, and I can't wait, uh, you know, to try to go out there and do my best like I did in the city of San Luis for 11 years. And the amazing thing part was, uh, uh, to this, Randy, is that as that year unfolded, that first year, wound up not being the best player on their team. A guy named Mike Trout emerged. Mm-hmm. And amazingly, in nine years since, he has not been a part of a team that won a playoff game. Not yeah. one playoff game. I think baseball, as I reflect on it now, I thought it did a disservice by not having Albert come back to St. Louis. You know, mm-hmm. interleague play, Cardinals went out there a couple of times. And now as I reflect on it, I think it may have been the right thing. It worked out perfectly. It, it did because time had kind of healed some of those wounds and, and people wanted to welcome him back. And if there was somebody on the the edge of being upset, and I can understand that, you know, he left. Um, but when he came back in that great weekend that we had a couple of years ago, it was just perfect. Hits the home run. And it was a, a, one of the weekends I'll never forget in covering Cardinals baseball. It was a magical weekend. November 6th of 2011, the St. Louis Blues fired their head coach, Davis Payne, and began one of the most successful runs in their history with the hiring of Ken Hitchcock. This happened very quickly for me. Uh, it's still a little bit of a whirlwind. I'm still trying to figure out how I got down I-70 to get here, uh, but uh, I am really proud and excited for the opportunity. And uh, for me, my strength is building teams building accountability within the framework of teams. I'm a big believer in in uh, a certain style of game. There are teams in the West that play that similar style, and I, I believe and trust it. I've seen it in place not only in the National Hockey League but in the Olympics, and I've seen how it works, and uh, I want to put that program in place. I've learned over time as a coach as you get older that uh, the game changes. Uh, I think I'm uh, as current or more current than anybody in the National Hockey League at understanding what changes have taken place not only in the style of game, but in the dealing with the personnel. And this time away for me uh, has really uh, been a godsend. It's, uh, it's helped me health-wise. It's helped me physically. Uh, it's, it's helped me emotionally. And like I said, I'm energized and I'm excited. And if I can get through this press conference without stumbling too much, I'd like to get back in the coach's room where I belong and get back to work with the guys back there. Hitchcock made the playoffs in every year he was the Blues head coach. He led that team to 109 points, then a 60-point season in a 48-game lockout-shortened year, then 111 points, 109, 107, and then his last half year they had 99 points. Went to the playoffs every year, including the conference finals in 2016. He was really good, Randy. Set He kind of got it back on the track, didn't he? Set the tone for I, where they are now. I agree. I, I thought he was really good. Did a hell of a job here. Um, wanted to see him win here. I mean, obviously I wanted to see him win here, but I really wanted to see him win here. He was so invested into it. Not that others aren't, but he was. Um, but like you said, kind of set the... I guess the base of what we're seeing right now with the St. Louis Blues. It was a remarkable year, 2011, in that Larusa left, Mike Matheny was hired. The Blues, as we mentioned, fired Davis Payne and hired Ken Hitchcock. And the St. Louis Rams fired their head coach, Steve Spagnolo, and they hired Jeff Fisher. Obviously, first and foremost, I have to thank you, Stan, for you know this privileged opportunity to be your next head football coach, and Kevin for your and your mm-hmm. staff for your tireless efforts to help to uh, speed this process up. Um, my decision was was very very simple. Uh, it was based on a vision, a collective vision that is shared by Stan and Kev- Kevin, as far as 
um, the future of this franchise. And more specifically, it's restoring this franchise to a place of significance. Significance, by that I mean it's an opportunity to take another trip as champions to the White House, whereas I understand as we speak right now, Tony La Russa and the world champion St. Louis Cardinals are there right now. So um, it was that vision that um, made my decision very, very easy. And as it turned out, the trip was to L.A. Yeah. Stan. That was also Kevin. the day, yeah. Dan, yeah. that yeah. the Rams owner, Stan Kroenke, spoke to St. Louis final for time, right? the final time. Yeah. We'll see how that process works out. When asked about the arbitration process, that's all he said. Yeah, it was great. Do you have any inkling then? I mean, did you have in the back of your mind as a guy that was fully invested in covering this team that this was going to happen? Yes. Even then, you were thinking that. Because you hire a guy that has moved a franchise before yep. to help move a franchise. Yeah. So I, I wasn't absolutely convinced, but that makes you think, yeah, there might be something going on here. Yeah. And as it turns out, Fisher did say, yeah, I, I took that job with the knowledge that there was probably going to be a move. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Terrible. So 2011, the Great first year. year of this decade. Yeah. A lot of good, some bad, but overall, fun. We had sports. That was a great thing. Crowds. You hear the crowds and stuff. Yeah, that yeah. was fun. That, so that part was great. 2011 on 101 ESPN. Next up, NFL News and Notes with Dan and Randy. Coming your way on Character and Smallman. Dan in for Michelle until after Christmas on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. NFL news and notes. If you didn't hear, the New York Football Jets won a football game yesterday. Yes, they're now one and thirteen. Yeah, they beat the Los Angeles Rams yes. twenty-three to twenty. Darn it! Really upsetting. And because of that, now Trevor Lawrence. If it happened today and he goes in the draft, Jacksonville would have the number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. They would pick Trevor Lawrence. And there's no state income tax in Florida. Good point. Maybe that's more appealing to him now. Not worried about the offensive line. I've got no state income tax. It's all about the Benjamins. It's all about them Benjamins. Seattle with the Rams loss and Seattle's win over the WFT now leads the NFC West. But the Rams still control their own playoff destiny. If they beat Seattle and Arizona in their last two games, then the Rams will win that division. Seattle's going to win. They're gonna beat. They're gonna beat the Rammies at Seattle. Yep, uh, the Rams will lose two in a row, Dan. They're gonna win. Seattle's gonna win that game, hmm. and then it's gonna be uh, heartbreaking for St. Louis to watch Arizona and L.A. Get two yeah. former teams going. Yeah, at it. going yeah. at it. Yeah, the St. Louis Bowl could be. Dan, the Chiefs beat the Saints yesterday, thirty-two to twenty-nine, and word today that. Chiefs running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has a high ankle sprain that he suffered late in yesterday's game. He had to be helped from the field into the locker room. But the Chiefs improved to 13-1 on the season. Randy, you're harping on this way too much. You know why? Le'Veon? Well, that, but think of the main reason. What's that? You got Patrick Mahomes, baby. He's pretty good. So I don't worry about who I'm handing. Now, I love Le'Veon Bell. It's been a good pickup. Now you need him more than ever. I got Patrick Mahomes. I'm not really worried about it. And I'll get him back for 
the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I'll get my bye week. He'll get his rest. I have no issues. It's fine. Move on. Mahomes yesterday, 26 of 47 for 254 and three touchdowns. Drew Brees made his return, started for the Saints, only 15 of 34 for Oof. 234, three touchdowns and a pick. Started 0 for 6, first yeah. time in his career. How about that? First Amazing. time ever. He's been yeah. around for 80 years. Yeah, he was rusty. Rusty, 0 for 6 to yeah. begin his career. How about the Colts-Texans game? It was 27-20, Kiki Kuti. Fumbled the ball into the end zone with 19 seconds to go, and Indianapolis was able to recover and preserve their victory. I, I, You know, there's some games I watch. I didn't watch a lot of it. I watched some of that game, but then it just got to the point I couldn't watch it. And then I watched <laughs> the Bears game, and I watched Trubisky, and then I saw him throw it in the end zone with a chance to seal the game, and I thought about quarterback play right now in the National Football League. What do you think of it, just generally speaking? Generally speaking, it leaves a lot to be desired. I think it does, too. You've you got, got your, your great ones. Right. And then there's a massive drop-off. Yeah. That's why a guy like Trevor Lawrence is so highly sought after. Yeah. Because he can play with these guys. And it's a different game now. It's it's a quarterback game, no doubt about it. He has got... Did you watch the Notre Dame game at all? I did. He's got a hose, man. Yeah, he can really throw Holy it. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, you just forget when you watch... And he's, he's big. He's strong in the pocket. He can run a little bit. Mm-hmm. Great hair. Oh, the hair is just tremendous. Who's the uh, safety from um, the Steelers that does the... Troy uh, Polamalu. Yeah. I mean, he'll have one of those deals with mm-hmm. him. They'll be in a locker room doing hair commercials. Yeah. And that is going to be tax-free. It's true. You Good know. Florida, yeah. Right. Dan Tom Brady let a comeback over the Falcons. Falcons were up 24-7 midway through the third quarter. 17. How come they can't close games out? Well, because Tom Brady went 31-45 for 390 with a couple of touchdowns. And the Bucks outscored the Falcons 24-3 to in the last quarter and a half. Do you see who he hit? Hit my man. That's going to take them to the Super Bowl. Antonio Brown with a. the game-winning B. touchdown. A.B. He's got a 46-yard TD score. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's going to be a difference maker, Randa. I'm just saying. You Damn. got A.B., you got Gronk, you got all these guys now you're throwing to. Could be it. The third team in Florida yeah. was also in the news. We talked about Jacksonville. We talk talked about, about Tampa. So now we got Miami. This shows Miami Dolphins, who are now in a playoff spot. They eliminated the Patriots from the playoffs. The Dolphins you were have, happy about that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because my Dolphins have their first winning record since 2008, when our old friend Jake Long was a rookie. And the Dolphins are in a playoff spot. And they aren't as good nearly as they're going to be. Would you go with, I mean, they're not going to. Are you better with Fitzmatrick, Patrick, Patrick Magic, whatever? Or are you, re- are you better with Tua? You're better with the efficiency of Tua right now and the ability to run. He ran for two touchdowns, 20 of 26 for just 145, but he finds a way to get first downs. Tua, kind of like the Cardinals a couple of years ago. He's just good at winning games. Yeah, I, he, he I watched him against the Chiefs, I guess it was two weekends ago. Mm-hmm. You can see him. He's making strides. He is. He is making it is better than his first start. Second start was I actually I got the ticket. So I flip around. I watch. Mm-hmm. I, I'm intrigued by Tua. He's got better. I mean, he, he's starting to you can see his, his reads are better. Those kind of things that develop as you go through time. But um, I like him. I mean, it's just fun to watch. Right. So, I, I yeah. But I think if you went with Fitzpatrick, you don't think you'd be in the same spot? I think you would. But 
Tua has a chance to grow with that offense, and he he is getting better and better. Here's the one thing about the Dolphins. What skill position player do they have? No. Yeah. That affects a quarterback. That's a good point. And they don't really have skill position talent. So he's got a chance to really benefit uh, that team over the long term. One other note from today, Marty Herney, the general manager of the Carolina Panthers, has been fired. They want to upgrade their talent level. And so they have moved on from Marty Herney, citing philosophical differences. And you were telling me you want Carson Wentz to go to the Jets. Carson Wentz to the Jets would be interesting. I think the best spot for Carson Wentz would be the Colts. That would make sense with mm-hmm. what they have. Frank Reich, who yeah. led him to his greatest exactly. success as their head coach now. I think that would make the most sense. I kind of think Sam Darnold might stay now where he is. How? He won a game yesterday. Won. But he won't have this coach anymore. Sam Darnold's a talented guy. He just needs to be in the right place and with the right coach. And Adam Gase, who was, by the way, a protege, is a protege of Mike Martz. Adam Gase just is not a good head coach. Jalen Hurts, by the way, in his starts, I think only one interception, uh, threw for 338 yards in their loss to Arizona. He's been really good. He's going to be really good, too. Did you see that? Yeah. I didn't see that coming. I, I thought I was intrigued. I didn't see this, no, but I, I was intrigued because of his arm, his running ability, and you see what happens with guys like Baker Mayfield succeeding in the NFL, with guys like Kyler Murray succeeding in the NFL. I was just looking at another Oklahoma quarterback saying, okay, well, yeah, maybe, maybe it works. Yeah. yeah. Maybe there's better young talent than we think. Allen, Herbert, Murray. Maybe there's better young talent than we think. They just haven't risen to that level of to greatness a, like right. Mahomes yet. Yeah. Those are NFL news and notes on 101 ESPN. And if you miss anything on today's show, check out the podcast brought to you by I Promise. I Promise, bringing you the podcasts at 101ESPN.com. Daniel, this has been awesome today. Love it. Love it, Randy. You know that. Come on. You know I love being with you in the mornings. If I have to get up really early, which I do anyway, but I know I'm going to spend a morning with you. Makes it even brighter. I'm glad to hear that because I have fun too. It's it is. It's it's been great. I love it. What do we have coming up with scoops? Uh, Chris Gervino. So we'll talk a little bit about Mizzou's bowl game as they are headed to the um, to Nashville to the Music, Music City. City Bowl to take on Iowa. Alex Ferrario to talk our NHL insider to talk a little bit about what's happening with the NHL schedule. Um, Want to hear more from the Mike Schilt press conference because it kind of happened late on Friday Mm -hmm. so I'm not sure a lot of fans have heard uh, everything that he had to say there so we'll get into that coming up on scoops looking forward to that all right kind of a mixed bag this morning for Tanner Hendrickson who did have the opportunity to experience a virtual graduation last night but at the same time he was experiencing that he was experiencing his Los Angeles Rams losing to the Jets yeah so you doing okay Uh, the Rams one stings more than the graduation celebration that's what coaches always say that the losses hurt more than the wins are great yeah yeah it's painful it's embarrassing i mean here's the i think the main point though randy Mm -hmm. he values sports more than the education and i we applaud that we do we like that that's that's right yep that's the bigger point of this i think 
We thank uh, Tanner for his hard work. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, being a part of the show. By the way, tomorrow morning, Tyler O'Neill will join us and Brett Bielema. So a lot coming your way on Dan and Randy. Michelle out until after Christmas. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.